I've been trying not to do this one anymore, but I... <coughs> Fuck. <laughs> I've been trying not to do this one anymore, but it feels pretty relevant for this opening, so... On the island, you must fight to survive. Amongst your fellow classmates, one person wins. Everybody else dies. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched the Belko experiment. No, wait. I watched Hunger Games. No, wait. Uh, I watched someone play Fortnite. No, wait. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I watched Battle Royale. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome to Claire Tendon Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. Today is a very special episode. Not only do we have Lucas Gerke back on the show, say hi, Lucas. Hi, I'm back. Uh, what else is exciting is we're covering a movie that has been on my to-do list for a while. Uh, we and you have talked about doing this movie for Probably what years at this point? I, I don't even at know. At least a year, <laughs> at least. And so it's really exciting to finally knock this one off. This is a one of probably the more influential movies I've ever covered on the show, and especially given like the current landscape of like the prevalence of this. Like, oh, I should have made a Squid Game joke at the top too. That was, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, I had that thought too. It's very Squid Gamey. Uh, but uh, it's just you know, like as a fan of like Japanese media as well, this is like a big one, and I just had never seen it. Uh, I remember when Hunger Games was coming out, the the big rumblings were like, this is just like Battle Royale. Battle Royale is like the OG. This is just ripping off Battle Royale. And I have, I, I, at the time, I'd not heard of Battle Royale. So I was like, what's this? And you look it up and it's like a Japanese movie from the from literally 2000. That's when yeah. it came out. And you're like, oh, wait, what the hell? Uh, so I don't know. It's just been hovering on the periphery. I will say for some reason, I had it in my head. This movie was three hours long. Yeah, you said that before we before we watched it, and I was like, I don't think that's true. Like when but... I when I finally pulled it up and saw it was two hours long, I was like, Do I have the right copy? And I was like, yeah. Oh, it's just two hours long. It's like two hours flat. Too. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I thought it was three hours long. <laughs> I, I genuinely have no clue. But I would love to start with, you know, speaking of the history of the film, I'd love to start with your history with this film. Are oh. you are you somewhat of a newcomer to this movie, or has this been like a lifelong? Uh, film for you okay so the, this is the first time i've actually sat down and watched it jesus yeah <laughs> okay. it is it is like i've known it's one of those movies I, I knew a lot about various elements of it without ha having having ever actually sat down and watched through it hmm. um, and i've like seen bits from it like i've seen various scenes here and there like i think the entire opening scene when they're in when they wake up in the classroom and are being told the rules and stuff i saw that entire scene I okay. out of context. <laughs> but it's interesting. That that's that is a good point though. This is a movie that like sometimes movies, if they're really popular, I will catch a scene from here and there. 
somehow I've never seen a, a, not one bit of this movie. I, there wasn't anything that happened where I was like, Oh, I've seen this. Like it was all incredibly fresh. Like yeah. for some reason, you, as, as influential as this film was, I, I, it has not like, I don't know if it just hasn't stayed relevant or everything else that sort of like spawned from it has unfortunately like overtaken it maybe to a certain extent. Probably. I kind of, I kind of feel like if you go into material that formed a big chunk of the modern zeitgeist. You kind of like you get jaded and it almost feels unoriginal because that's where it came from. Like I had a friend we watched when the new version of it hit theaters. I had a friend come in and he literally knew nothing about it. Like he had just never experienced any of it before. Interesting. And he was like, yeah, the whole time I was like, this is kind of worn out and generic. But he's like, but then I was like, oh. It's because this did it, and then everything else followed. Yes, no, <laughs> like... that's such a that's such a good point. It's it, it's something I encounter on this show a lot. Uh, I think one of the most memorable films I've done for the show was we did Persona, the Ingmar Bergman film. Oh, and that's like a very just tight, small psychological movie, and it's like a black and white movie from 1960 or something like that. Yeah, and. I'm just watching it and the whole time I was like, I've seen this movie before a thousand yeah. times. Uh, like, I mean, it's basically like, I think you can draw literally a, an A to B line from Persona to Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Uh, but it's like Persona did it first though. Exactly. The, the problem is it was like a, a slightly more boring version <laughs> of what we would go on to, as, as yeah. people would sort of iterate on it and evolve the yeah, idea. It walked so the others could run. Yeah. And it is, a, it is like, it is a movie that has lingered for me and I still do think about it a lot. It's an incredible film. Like it's like routinely in like when people make like top 100 of all time list, it's routinely yeah. in the conversation, it, it, but it is like for me in my more modern sensibilities, I will, I would take Mulholland drive over persona yeah, and it feels kind of shitty to say that, but I don't know. And this is a different animal though. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to tip my hand too much, but I think I'd pick this over the Hunger Games for sure. But. Yes, and <laughs> I'm sure everyone will come to learn very quickly the the absolute unrelenting ire that I reserve for the Hunger Games. <laughs> I'd but, love to hear about it, honestly, because I, I will say, card, cards on the table, like, I haven't seen a Hunger Game. I haven't read yeah. a Hunger Game. I am vaguely, I know what it is. It's like Jennifer Lawrence's, there's like districts and they have to like, they randomly select champions and they have to yeah. like fight to the death or yeah, something. Yeah, as, as we go through Battle Royale, I will point out like every, every fucking parallel because there are so <laughs> many of them and they're not, they're not even masked well. They're not even, they're not even hidden very appropriately and like, God, it's like Jennifer, I like Jennifer Lawrence, but it's like her weakest performance imaginable is the one that everybody <laughs> talks about with her and God. She's an interesting case where when she first appeared on the scene i was a big j-law fan mm -hmm. and as she's gotten bigger i've become less of a fan but it's also like she really sleepwalks when she's in like a blockbuster film i know like it's like she's like terrible in the x-men movies yeah, she's like sl she's like really bad in those movies and but then you'll see something that's a little bit more small and contained like i haven't seen mother but i've been meaning to watch mm -hmm. it and she'll like be amazing and you're like oh she is a good actor uh, it's like, uh, she's, is she room is, is room? Her? No, that's, um, um, oh God, uh, edit out all my stuttering. Cause this is such an obvious no, answer. I'm going um, to edit all this out because I'm having, oh, it's Brie Larson. It's freaking Brie Larson. Yeah. Yeah. Brie Larson. Uh, uh, as, yeah yes. 
Um, she, Brie Larson is another one that I'm like, I liked her a lot when she first appeared, and now I kind of don't like her yeah. that much anymore. Well, uh, also, she destroyed her public image <laughs> <laughs> systematically over time. So that didn't help at all. She's just like, there's certain actors where it's like when they first show up, you're like, oh, you're really good. And then they just like, I don't know if they get too big or like what happens. Like, I've, I don't know. But I, the thing is, like, even though I've fallen out of love with J Law, I keep hearing people randomly be like, oh, I really want to see that No Hard Feelings movie. She looks so funny in it. And I'm like, I does didn't she? Think, I didn't think that looks funny at all. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. But I don't, she's she's good in small bursts. Like, um, oh, fuck. What, was the, what was that movie that Brian Tyree Henry got the Oscar nomination for this past season? Oh. Where they're both like I veterans. Never, I never saw that. but She was good in that. She's good. But, like, she's a good actor. She can be good when yeah. she's pushed to brie larson can be too exactly but now she's like captain marvel and it's yeah. like uh it's I, I just like a feel whole like... different ball of wax now for some reason yeah i almost feel like it's because for the smaller films the people in charge are working harder to make them stand out in that role whereas the bigger films they're they are their name yeah they get the... they get kind of swallowed up by the yeah. process like how do you even how do you even give a good performance when you're just standing in a fucking studio surrounded by green screen and being yeah. forced to like pretend you're flying like it's you just... have to be <laughs> certain actors <laughs> i mean the thing is like i you know i love robert downey jr is uh iron man but mm. that's not going to be what i would say is like his best performance like maybe no. the first movie he is like he makes that character his but it's not like his best performance in a movie and i think no. he's like one of the standouts of like the superhero universe yeah so. well i mean because he's just i don't know he, he's so much more than that and he's like he's sick of it at this point like he wants to break away from it really bad yeah i still haven't seen oppenheimer but apparently he's fucking incredible i would be shocked <laughs> if he does not get an oscar nom for oppenheimer uh, uh my I, sister no granted i think she's exaggerating but my sister said she went through that whole movie not even realizing it was him um <laughs> well it's also because like people forget that he's like fucking 65 years yeah. old because it's like whenever they do these movies uh they, you know, spray paint their hair and make them look yeah. like fucking 25 years younger. Mm -hmm. I think I've said this on the show before, but I, I followed Jack Black's YouTube when that cropped up around like when COVID was hitting. Yeah. And one of the most insane videos I've ever watched is watching him like, because he's got the full pooped out like Einstein hair, the crazy Bushman beard. The beard. But then he, they get, they're gearing up to do Jumanji too. And he had a video of yeah, him like going where it's in. It's like the transformation. He, they fucking took like 30 years off of him. Yeah. They, they, they dye his hair brown. They trim his beard. And you're just like, holy shit. It's really like impressive. Other than a couple of age lines, you're just like, what the hell? He looks yeah. like fucking he did in School of Rock practically. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty wild how far you can push like age. And what's the thing is like, there's also this new weird trend where all these old actors are like having kids in their seventies and stuff. Dude, okay, like <laughs> yeah, De Niro and Pacino, like back to back. So weird. <laughs> I think literally Al Pacino was the one I, yeah, one of the two of them. They literally submitted like wanted DNA tests because they're like, there's no way I can still have kids. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty unlikely. But then it's like I was watching a Red Letter Media video and there was like this twelve year old kid. Uh, it who was like they're like oh that's definitely a Busey I can see it in his face <laughs> and it's fucking Gary Busey's kid it's not oh, it's, no it's not Jake Busey's <laughs> kid Jake Busey officially has a younger brother who's like fucking forty or oh, forty years younger God. than him or something like that man it's amazing <laughs> that Gary Busey's 
it's just amazing anyone let him smash. Like, I mean, it's. <laughs> I guess, I guess where he's at right now, yeah, that is a little. Surprising. Have you seen the uh, the like buttered sausage <laughs> meme? No. Where somebody like somebody who does a really convincing Gary Busey impression did like this deep fake interview, and he goes on this unhinged rant about buttered sausage. Oh, you know what? I think I do know what you're talking and about. And it was so convincing that for the like. For a good chunk of time, everybody was like, what's this interview with Gary Busey going off about buttered sausages? Like, he never actually did that. Like, <laughs> it's so good. He's He's been on my mind lately because I've covered, uh, like, I covered, like, back-to-back movies that he was in. I did Predator 2. And then, <laughs> and then I did Point Break, so I've, I've been I've been very Gary Busey lately. Yeah, you got to hit up the Ginger Dead Man trilogy. That's, <laughs> oh, that's a good good follow up. I think. <laughs> you see, the Predator he doesn't like gar- garlics and onions, and that's why we we made our diet like garlics and onions. <laughs> he is a wild man. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, wildly off topic. Uh, I think I think you're we're right to discuss a little bit of Hunger Games and all that stuff because yeah. like essentially. I didn't do enough research to say like battle royale came up with this genre. I, I would right. say it's not like, like it's not like battle royale whole is the sole thing that ever thought of like what if a bunch of people had to kill each other until one was left. Like yeah. there's just no way that the novel was like the first time that ever happened. Right. I think but it was the it, first popularized. Yeah. Apparently the novel's it. really good, but it was of course very controversial at the time. Yeah. And it. I, I was watching a video and they said that it was so good that this like the Japanese like horror novel uh, p- board was like, we really want to give it the award, but we're kind of nervous because it's like <laughs> a book where like 40 kids kill each other. Yeah. So they did. They just didn't give an award that year. They were like, we're not giving it to anyone else, but we're just also not giving it to you. Yeah, and it's so like getting an honorary one. Yeah. But... And so it's like they gear up to make the movie. And it of course is like, controversial as as it would be but i mean it's kind of it's funny because like japan is a is a very unique beast in in, in this <laughs> yeah in the sense that like they simultaneously will be so simultaneously will be so buttoned up and censored about things yeah. where it's like not to be gross to people but like even their pornography is still like, it's blurred out it's like censored yeah um and, but at the same time they will just like fucking do crazy shit. Okay, so <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's really weird. So yes, they'll they'll literally censor porn, but which is like they know what the audience for porn is. So like it that's just a strange concept. But it's like simultaneously Battle Royale, when it came out in two thousand, there's this message at the beginning that's like basically explaining its rating. Yeah. And it's like if you're if you're under the age of fifteen, and I'm like fifteen. Dang, that's yeah, like, seems kind of young. It's honestly. like it's apparently like they have their own rating system, and apparently that's like practically their version of an X. Yeah, uh, like, like fifteen is was like oh boy, it's controversial. <laughs> you have to wait till you're fifteen to watch this shit. Yeah, and it's funny because like it's another thing where it's like you watch it now, and I think we've been a little bit desensitized, yeah. but it is still a very violent movie. It is, but it, by today's standards, it's like kind of cheesy though. Like the blood, like. Anybody who gets any neck injury in this movie, it's basically a fountain. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's very it's, anime. It's, it's very like, uh, it's very Kurosawa. Yeah, like that's that's who I associate with that trope of like for sure. Like yeah, Toshiro they're... Mifune just like cut somebody, and there's like a brief <laughs> moment, and then you just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the delay. It's really the delay. That... <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Tarantino would go on to rip it off wholesale. Yeah, uh, I, I got to say, the first time I ever watched Lady Snowblood, finally, I was like, oh. 
Tarantino was like just wholesale ripping this movie off, oh, yeah. like not even being clever about it. I was, it was kind of eye opening. Lady Snowblood fucking slaps, by the way. <laughs> That's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but as you know, speaking of Tarantino, like he said, this was like his favorite movie of the decade. You know, people were very influenced by this movie. And I do, uh, before we get too far afield, uh, when we were talking about the violence, one thing I do really respect about this movie is it goes there. I think that's something that yeah. this is going to set, make me sound like a little bit of a psychopath, but I, I, I really do just mean it in, in the sense that I'm team art first, yeah. I guess. And I'm team like, as long as no one's actually being hurt or traumatized, yeah. I'm team like, do what you think will get your message across. And this movie has a message that is trying to send and the message yeah. isn't effective Unless you're watching kids brutally kill each other, yeah, and a lot of people just would be like, th that would just be a, a, a line that they could never cross. Yeah. Right? And and to yeah, to to definitely help throw more shade on the Hunger Games, which I'm going to do a lot tonight. <laughs> um, but like you know how they wanted that, they wanted the butts and seats, they wanted that PG-13 rating, and so it's like you have this kid run up to another one with a freaking battle axe. And they swing it and the kid goes, <gasps> and it cuts away to a rock. And you see some bloods <laughs> slightly speckle the rock. And, and they and do that like 14 times in the Hunger Games. And it's just like, you can't, you can't pull off the brutality without actually like at least giving a hard, a more hardcore idea yeah. or a solid idea. And, and don't, do not get me wrong. I love implied violence. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite moments in a film is in Miss 45 when this guy's like trying to assault her. She grabs a, an iron and raises it into the air mm -hmm. and the camera just is on the iron and then she just brings the iron down out of frame and you just kind of hear like yeah or whatever and like i think that stuff's brilliant i i love when films do that stuff but when they do it like they do in hunger games where it's not artistic it's just it's just censorship at yeah. that point and like yeah because i think there, there's Cause, a time cause that, they, they do that miss 45 for budget reasons yeah. more than anything because yeah. that's like a movie that was made for like a thousand dollars in a bag of cocaine but i, uh, I feel like I feel like there's a there's a time to show things and a time not to show things like a lot of in horror, especially a lot of people like it's so much anything I think of can be so much scarier than something they show me. And I'm like, you really think a lot of yourself, don't you like that? You're like, <laughs> nobody can ever scare me more than me. Um, but like because you have things like I don't know you have like splatterpunk like in novels where it's like it, they almost take it too far because the whole gimmick is, oh, we're going to show stuff that you've never seen before and yeah. it's like so edgy and that, shit, that's not like, my vibe like i know no. i know there's a new wave now where it's like i haven't watched them because i know i won't like them but like mm. there's like the terrifier movies <laughs> yeah uh, and i'm like that's not they're like it's so gross he like spends like seven minutes playing with her guts and stuff yeah. it's the nastiest thing i've ever seen I'm like okay i don't care like this movie's like the perfect amount of violence uh, yeah. it's like it shows you it and it is like haunting, but it's like pretty realistic, like other than some of the splatters and, and neck like yeah. geysers and stuff. But well, and and the fact that there's like four different times in a movie, somebody gets riddled with like 37 bullets and then they immediately stand up and like act fine for about 20 seconds and then they fall over. There, there's definitely but... some, some the thing that's interesting about Japanese live action stuff is it still always feels just a little bit influenced by anime. anime. Like there's some very anime esque acting in this movie, yeah. Uh, and then that's not always the case. Like there are Japanese directors that make more like serious slice of life stuff. Like I wouldn't accuse anybody in like Shoplifters of feeling like an anime character. Yeah. Well, uh, and some of the, but even then, there's occasional like 
you know, just like big bug-eyed reactions that aren't really realistic. But yeah, it's well, it's stylized. <laughs> I think I think the, st the stylization kind of uh, adjusts your suspension of disbelief from the get-go. There's um, a certain if people don't know what we're talking about because for some reason you've never seen it before. But there's like moments in this movie where characters will move suddenly very quickly or very like just like their body m language is like it's not how a normal person would move. yeah where it's like when he's like sitting over his dead friend's body and he does this like very dramatic like thing where he like lays his head on him and he's just like you know naga or whatever whatever his friend's name is that his, his friend like, i was having trouble tracking this but our main character's best friend is the guy that stabbed he fucking the teacher stabbed a teacher and we're supposed okay i could never get behind that i was like i do not really sympathize with this kid he literally like first of all he's a huge part of the reason that that teacher goes along with like leading the fucking death games for this class very but, much like, so well i'm like he literally ran out and sliced his teacher's like ass cheek with a knife in the middle of school and like we're supposed to like feel bad for him <laughs> like um uh, I don't know about Tony Nobu. I guess was an called Nobu. That's Nobu was like yeah. what, what his name is, but it was like I, I, I did. I did have a really hard time getting over the fact that he stabbed a teacher. Yeah, because I'm like, and I, the thing is, I, at first when it happens, it's like weird, but you're like, okay, well, the idea is that the youth is literally becoming so delinquent that that behavior is normal. Yeah, but then they try to get you to feel bad for the one that actually did that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I do though. Yeah, that was some like. That's a case where sometimes in movies they try to like shrink storytelling down so that all the relevant characters are the ones that have done things. But that's yeah. a, that's an instance where the teacher just needs to have been stabbed by somebody else. Yeah. So like that was such a weird call. To because because then the the scene where his collar is going off, which sure okay makes more sense that the teacher activated his because it's kind of like ha I got you back. Yeah, but like when he's just asking for help and everyone's literally like get away from me like that could have been a lot more tragic yeah if it wasn't somebody who i'm like yeah he probably deserves this <laughs> <laughs> yeah you also find, find out this is the first time he's even been back to school and yeah like months he's just been like <laughs> chronically truant and then he's like oh there's a class trip and he shows up for that <laughs> like this guy's a piece of shit like, it's also funny because it's like would he have not been in the death game if he just didn't go on the field trip? I think so. That's yeah. one thing is like, before we get into the movie proper, I would like to talk about, well, there's two things I want to talk about before we get into the movie proper. I want to talk about the death game genre as a whole. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to, uh, so let's talk about the death game genre and then we'll put a pin in, I think, I think it'll lead us pretty naturally into actually talking about the movie. We'll put a mm -hmm. pin in the world building of the movie because I think yeah. they drop the ball a little bit as far as that goes. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, we talked about it already. I joked about it at the top of the show. What's funny is like, there's also, uh, even in Japan, there's an anime genre that's just, it's literally called death game. Yeah. Like there's so many death there's game anime, lot. but it is like the allure is hard to resist because it's one of those, it, it reminds me of, uh, it's going to be a, a slightly weird analogy, <laughs> but it reminds me of how it's really hard to fuck up a sports game movie a sports movie just has inherent drama it has it has an inherent narrative that you follow a game has a narrative it, yeah. has, it has acts you know there has to be a winner like there's drama there and death games it's just you don't even have to try it it's just <laughs> the drama is built into the genre yeah. you cannot fuck you can fuck it up and there are bad death games but it's just like what could be more dramatic than 
you're going to meet a bunch of characters. Some of them are going to be pretty interesting. All of them are going to die. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you go in with the knowledge that like they're not supposed to make it out, but technically one probably will. But like, and it was like, and I think you know, I think we officially peaked with Squid Game because that was yeah. like that was like a phenomenon unlike almost anything I've ever seen before. And I'm really glad it caught on because it's exactly the kind of thing I would want to watch. Yeah, but I would assume that like as big of an audience as it had wouldn't really go for it. Yeah, it's like, yes, the Hunger Games movies are incredibly popular, but like I think people remember, and I I think this must have been like roughly during pandemic time when it came out, which I'm sure helped a lot. lot, But there is just like, like my dad watched Squid Game. He watched a Korean show because he's just like, this looks cool. And you, you watch the first episode and they get to this the red light green light game and people start getting fucking mown down yeah. and you you lean forward in your seat and you're like oh this is for real and then you're in it grabs you by the claws and you just are like you you know there's just so much drama built into yeah. the genre and so well and it's like horrific but it's like the kind of horrific that you can't look away from yeah very much so <laughs> like... and it's like I don't know. It's just interesting. And it's also just like, it also serves as such an obvious, but good metaphor for things too. Yeah. So it's just, you really can't miss, I think. And like, you know, I, I think anyone that writes stories has entertained a death game idea. Yeah. Well, it is, <laughs> uh, it is fascinating. So like, first of all, like any survival stories where it's not guaranteed that they're going to make it out are, are riveting because you know, you, it, it's not like you, there's so many stories where the plot armor is very visible from the get go. And so at no point are you really worried about anybody. Yes. But when they flip it to the degree where you're like, oh, it's actually the opposite. Like only like one person at, is going to make it out. Like that's and when there, it's like, there's oh, usually some God. some tomfoolery where they try Two or three. They might, they might be like, I genuinely have been all day. I've been trying to remember if the girl lives in Squid Game. <laughs> oh, in Squid Game. Uh, which. Like the, in the games, yeah, the main girl, like that we're rooting for, because we have our main guy. Yeah, but no, then there's she... like there's like the younger there's like the younger woman. Yeah, no, she bites it. If you remember, like they have the they have the dinner yeah, and they leave her... them the knives, and then his friend like murks her in her sleep. I thought that she like was still alive, and they maybe like carted her off because she couldn't compete. But I genuinely uh, can't remember. Although if she lived. I will say it is it was bullshit to a degree because that was the one where like. They beat the Stepping Stones game, but then, like, the Stepping Stones exploded because time ran out, and one of the shards, like, lacerated her that's liver. Right. And I'm like, well, that's bullshit, though, because she actually won that game, so, she, like, they shouldn't... And she, like, she basically got taken out by happenstance, and I'm like, that's not even the point. Yeah. So that bothered me, actually, a little bit. It is bit. always funny, though, with these things where, because of the, you know, the narrative of the story, like, you establish that these two characters know each other and have a previous friendship and yeah. s- somehow they're the two that make it to the end. But yeah, which you know, <laughs> of course that's like, yeah, it's a given. And I would love to be thrown off. I would love to have another kind of death game type, either movie or show where they set that up and completely subvert your expectations and have, even if it's not, even if it's at the end or if it's like anywhere along the way, if they're just like psych, <laughs> like that'd be kind of cool. I, I just, I do love like when you can actually do a rug pull when William Friedkin passed recently, I watched his movie to live and die in LA. Oh, I've not seen that. And, uh, I don't know if I want to spoil it. Then. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I won't spoil it if you don't want it to be spoiled. Okay. 
so it's up to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, in case I happen to see it and remember this conversation, I guess I'll, I'll say not. <laughs> there's but. something, uh, I will say, like, there's something that happens in the movie that when it happened, I was like, holy shit. I was mm-hmm. like, I haven't seen this done in a movie almost ever. Yeah. It's really ballsy that they did this. I always um, appreciate that. It's, I mean, it's like <laughs> when, when freaking when scream killed drew Barrymore in the opening. Yeah. Scene, yeah. Like, nobody saw that coming. Yeah. I was like, it's funny. Cause it's like, it feels like it hasn't, it's like sight. It's like in psycho. Yeah, exactly. It, it's exactly like psycho. The, big, the big twist. But then the problem is with a movie like psycho, she was a much more interesting character. And then they try to have the narrative weight taken over by like her sister and her lover. Right. And they suck. And and the movie, and the movie goes dramatically downhill. And so that's, that's the rub with this kind of stuff where you have to like spend time getting to know these characters and falling in love with them. And then in the death game genre, it's like, well, it's like, how do you make people fall in love? But then like, kill characters but then still keep them interested and well i I think that's there's a trick to that and you have to just cater to the right audience because i think some people if they know it's a story where no one's safe they purposely detach themselves they're like oh well i don't want to get attached to any of these people they're just gonna die but i think other people it prompts them even harder to attach like if they like they they're like well now i'm really invested because there's stakes yeah (laughs) um totally so i think if you just know your audience and you target them appropriately then i i think that's the key because this this type of like weird subgenre of i guess horror i would i would like to say that uh i have a few episodes recorded but i'm trying to October, I've traditionally made like I do horror movies, the spooks, and so like this isn't a traditional horror movie, but I think I'm going to release it this month because it's horror. It's horror adjacent, adjacent. yeah. <laughs> like, like it's described as like an action thriller. Yeah, uh, thriller. But it is, like, I would say. I mean, so. I don't know what's more horrifying than a bunch of like seventh graders being forced to murder each other. That's that's <laughs> what I was telling my wife when we were watching. I was like, it was like the concept is what's horrifying. Like, yeah, because the execution, granted, it doesn't help that it was made in 2000. So like the music. It doesn't really make you feel very tense because yeah. it's very late nineties, early two thousand. It's pretty cheesy. Yeah, and like the like the, the zooms and like the basically the the cinematography is like not done in a way that makes you like on the edge of your seat. There's a it was I, just a sign of the times more than anything. I one thing I did keep thinking while I was watching the movie is like I really am enjoying this movie, but I'm not in love with the way it's made. Yeah. Like the one thing that's nice is because they do so much like just mediums and wides. I never really got too lost as to what was happening, mm-hmm. which is refreshing that they're not trying to cheat all the action by just having like intense close up, intense close up, intense close up, quick cuts. Uh, quick cuts. Like, like yeah. they, they kind of play stuff out. And I think it looks better for that. But there's like, very rarely during the movie that I go, Ooh, that's a pretty shot. I know. Yeah. Like it's all just very straightforward and plain and (laughs) saturated and a little bit yellow. Like I I didn't love the way it looked. It looked like, like we're in, we're firmly in the period where some people are starting to shoot on digital, but digital looks like shit. I don't know if this was shot on digital. Uh, it could have been shot on, it didn't look so it didn't look, I feel like I'm being mean. It didn't look like shit. It, it Comparatively just... <laughs> to movies that came out in 2000, no. <laughs> Especially Japanese movies that came out in 2000 because they didn't they didn't get the kind of budgets that American. Films yeah, this did. had like a six million dollar budget or something like yeah. that. Uh, and for a movie that's like fucking 40 people running around an island, like yeah. that's pretty impressive. And I, I do think the filmmaking is 
the script is smart in how it's constructed to keep it still contained. Yeah. Like you have like a couple scenes to establish all the characters, but from then on, like I, I had a couple thoughts during it where I was like, making this movie would actually be kind of awesome because you, <laughs> you would only need every actor for like five days, pretty much. Yeah. And then and then you'd be like, well, you're done. Because <laughs> some of it's almost like vignettes where just like, hey, here's here's what these students are going through. Yeah. And it shows their own little thing, and then they probably usually die at the end, and it's like, all right, well. That sucked, didn't it? Now look over here. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that did suck, actually. <laughs> like, it's, it's interesting. I think the movie's like decently paced, but I do think it. Normally, I like a vignette movie. Mm-hmm. This little one, it, it just like it, it might lingers a little bit too long. At yeah, times. there were things I loved and things I didn't love. Um, <laughs> and, and we don't have to get too deep in the weeds on that, but I would like to get deep in the weeds on because just so that we can we can parse our feelings out as we talk about mm-hmm. the film. We don't just have to be like, yeah, it was okay. Now let's talk about the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I'd like to know for you, especially since you're also a first timer to this, like, yeah. how are you feeling about the world building? Because it left me a little bit confused. Well, it's, I'm glad that they just set it up right from the get go, because I think suspension of disbelief is like a big thing. And I think their explanation, I, I have no problem suspending my disbelief. <laughs> right. And I, I understand what they're going for, Mm -hmm. but whether it was because of the budget or whatever, they don't firmly establish a world in which I believe that it's gotten this extreme. They pretty much (laughs) rapid fire exposited at you. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's literally like an opening narration. That's like things have gotten pretty bad and they've decided to implement a battle Royale. And like the only glimpse of the world being kind of chaotic is that, Nobu stabs his teacher and it's like not too weird like the school doesn't freak out and it's just like yeah and the teacher's basically like this is why I hate teacher <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty much <laughs> I mean he, he literally quits yeah uh, and then it's like but then like the other thing they always flash to is so it seems to be like a perfectly organized basketball game yeah because that- it's like the schools still exist in a regular capacity it's just like there's this idea like they also okay so they said something about like the unemployment is sky high and like delinquency is increased it doesn't really like go into like the why or the how or what other effects no. that has it clearly shows japan as a more militaristic scenario than yeah. we're used to it's like but that's about like our main it. character's dad like hangs himself and yeah. it's very morbid because like at first they didn't like tell you at least they didn't tell me like what it said on the stuff around his neck and then, like, late in the movie... It oh, kinda, it labeled it for, for the uh, one I was watching. Uh, well, it wasn't until, like, later in the movie that it, he, he has a flashback, and it says, like, go, Shuya. Yeah. You can do it, Shuya. I was like, oh, this is dark. It's super uh, morbid. Uh, and, like... <laughs> well, and... Because and, I guess it's, like, you know, and then his his mom left when he was little, and then his dad hanged himself on his first day of seventh grade. And I think, like... I think some of the idea is that they had basically a major depression of some kind, and the way it affected the adult, the adults... They messed up the kids, and so it's kind of like a whose fault is it really? I don't know. It's like one of those. It's like the thi- weird the, the biggest thing is like, I don't know. It's like I watched Akira for the first time fairly recently. Like, I think you told me about that. Like, yeah. that feels like a dystopia. Yes. And it's just like, but it's also like, I, I was trying to read up on like, and I was like, maybe it's explored better in the novel, but I was trying to find 
I don't have to think it's a reasonable explanation for why they hold the battle royale, right. but I would like some explanation for why they hold the battle <laughs> yeah. royale. Yeah, they're pretty much just like, oh, things are, it's kind of shitty over here. Like, fuck my, these kids. <laughs> the explanation that I read was like, and they believe that the one survivor will become a good citizen of Japan. And I was like, there's, I was like, it's, it's hard with movies like this because it's like, that makes no sense. But then sometimes that's like, well, that's the point. They're psychotic. And, yeah. And, and the way this militaristic government views the world is wrong. And especially the idea that they're like, it's almost like the kids are messed up because of the situation the adults are in. And the d- adults response to that is basically take it out on the kids, which just sort of proves their point. It's like, I, I thought <laughs> so it would have made like more cyclical. I thought it would have made more sense if it was like this thing that was like the boogeyman that they hold over kids. If you guys don't behave, you could be selected to yeah. have to do a battle royale but that doesn't seem to be the case at and all you a, lot infer... of, a lot of the kids in the class seem like pretty decent yeah. people and you could <laughs> infer i guess that like the fact that it's because the opening has like the news people talking to the person who won and stuff so you could argue i guess that since it's publicly known that sets an example but it, it, but seems, there, it, it doesn't, seems completely arbitrary. It doesn't lower or raise your chance of getting picked if you're like a good kid. Yeah. Like, so. like, there's like, yeah, they had a kid in their class that stabbed somebody. But by and large, almost every other student seems to be like reasonable. Most yeah. of them choose not to kill each other. Like, yeah. It, in, it implied that, that they were there was like mass truancy. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, but... to a certain extent, it's like maybe that's the point that they've been selected even though they're not bad kids and stuff yeah. like that. And, and that's like what they're trying to say. Cause it's the adults projecting onto them and like, it, it, but it is just like, I just would have liked something more than, and I don't even feel like they say it in the movie. I had to like read. It's like, and the winner will be a productive member of society. And that's how we forge them in fire and stuff like that. Yeah, and they, they kind of allude to that towards the beginning beginning when they're in the classroom and so he's like hey and whoever whichever one of you makes it you know you're gonna be better for it and like but speaking of the beginning i i'd say we can probably just get into it yeah i think so. um i was confused because i thought this was a classic we're seeing the end of the movie at the beginning scenario no um, that was... i was not tracking that well at all <laughs> and i just kept being like well nariko wins right or they like fake that she wins because She's got to be the one from the beginning. Cause by the time I was like far enough into the movie, I didn't even you forgot remember. what the first girl. Uh, yeah. I forgot what she even looked like, like. Yeah. and her face is covered in blood anyway. Yeah. But the only thing I was like, I was like, I think she had braces. And that was one thing that kept tripping me up was I was like, she had like a doll with her. Yeah. I was like, nobody's got a doll or braces. So I don't know. And then like, it wasn't until the end of the movie that I was like, Oh, yeah, that was like the previous. So I guess one. that was just the last one, and we're just starting yeah. with like a, this exists, and yeah, then and we, here's the neck. Here's the current one. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, just a, I get what they were doing now. There is a, sometimes too. What happens is like the sometimes like the subtitling can let down a little bit. Yeah, because it's like the translation isn't direct, so they just take the kind of the nearest. <laughs> there was like the times where one. I felt like that people's names weren't even like what they were saying. So the, <laughs> in the movie they the announcers at least like the teachers and stuff almost always use their first and last name and the subtitles for me at least always just said their first name. Okay. Like every time. Yeah, cuz like so someone would say weird. like Yukiko but then they would say like Sadawara and I was like what what the fuck is happening? It's <laughs> yeah. like I took enough Japanese that I could understand some of what they were saying, yeah. like, nande, taskete, like, I'm like, I know those words, like, and, and 
in genres like this, you hear Toscate like all the time because mm-hmm. that means help me. Like, uh, yeah. and so people are just like screaming for help all the time. Like, yeah. Uh, and Kirai is like, uh, I hate you. And Shinu, Shine, like, it's, it's weird the, the way they, but you hear like Sheen, you're going to hear Sheen in this movie a lot because people are yell, yelling die at each other yeah. all the time because that's what that means. I, I that's something I wonder because in, in anime and in like Japanese, you know, live cinema, I always see like, People just yell the word die a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I wonder if in Japanese, is that like something someone would actually say? It's just like their linguistics are just. Well, that's another thing. I remember when I was taking Japanese, people would like joke about, oh, yeah, I know a guy who's like, well, I'll just use anime to learn Japanese. And it's like people in anime don't talk like how actual people Japanese do. people yeah. talk. It's a terrible way to learn that, how to speak the language. That kills me when people are like, you have the dubs <laughs> versus subs, and the people are like, well, the English voice actors are just, they're just cheesy. And I'm like, you think Japanese people actually sound like that? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's just as cheesy for them. You just don't speak the language. Especially like Shonen and like Badland. Yeah. Because they're just like screaming. They're just at screaming other. at the top of their lungs. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, I'm like, how, this is cheesy either way, which like, you should take that as part of the charm. And, you know, and again, uh, that's not to say that there aren't anime that have more uh, grounded. Grounded is the word. Yeah. That's a great word. Like, it's going to sound insane, but there's a show I really like called Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. <laughs> I know that's uh, the name is insane. Yeah. And it's insane that I said, you know, what's a gr- you know, it's a pretty grounded anime. <laughs> Rascal, <laughs> Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. But it's a it's a like a it's a fantastical premise where. Mm-hmm. He, he like this guy has this ability to sort of like it exists in a world where if someone has like too great of a feeling it can manifest itself as almost like a mystical health issue yeah. and like the first character she's like this famous actress and she starts to become invisible to people slowly uh, uh and because she's just tired like, of, she's tired of being in the limelight and so it like manifests itself oh, but then it cool. starts going too far to where it's like she's disappearing from everybody and the main character, he's like one of the last people that can still see her. Oh, geez. Um, and like, it, it, but their conversations are very realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way they talk is not like they still have the occasional declarations or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Just, just like, I love you. I'm here. Don't go or whatever. But it's like, I, I, I always think of that in terms of like, oh, this feels like two actual people having a conversation. Yeah. I was, I was <laughs> watching one recently called Ergo Proxy mm. where like it, it uses almost not a single anime trope. Like the entire thing is it's like it's anime in its anim in its like style, but like it almost doesn't even feel like an anime because it's like they don't do you know, there's no chibi, nobody's just like yelling at the top of their lungs, like there's like nobody ever two characters never say the same thing at the same time. Like it's, they don't use any of the stuff you're used to from watching anime, especially yeah. like shonen and stuff. And then so and, and, and you know really it's not that I not that i hate the anime stuff though because it's like one of my favorite movies of all time is your name and that's got like anime tropes out the yeah. ass uh but i i still love that stuff yeah. but yeah we you know i i was telling lucas and i guess i'll tell you the audience uh i watched this i literally finished this movie like a half hour before we started recording <laughs> and i just didn't have time to take notes i meant to tell meant to tell you because i actually spent all weekend prepping for a D&D campaign I was running. Oh, uh, nice. Uh, and so my mind was solely focused on that. <laughs> and I just, and then that went to like 
two in the morning last night yeah. and then i was so tired i passed out and then just like uh because <laughs> uh, ironically i was the it wasn't quite a battle royale but i had the characters like running through a city where a bunch of monsters had been purposely released and like hunting them for points and yeah. stuff like that uh but then there was other hunters more then... <laughs> uh most dangerous game <laughs> well it actually like uh it beca became a bit of controversy because one of the party members as they were running through a, an area there was no other like wolves to shoot so the character decided to shoot one of the hunters in the face and <laughs> for no reason because they weren't worth points like the other hunters weren't and it became like a very contentious thing in the party where it was like <laughs> it's like you just killed someone for no reason and they were just like i don't know i who cares and they were like i care you can't just murder innocent people uh but yeah so they actually ended up fighting at the end of the, nice. the one shot. They had you a, love to see it. They had a little battle. No, I I only finished the movie. I fin I finished the movie today too, but that was it was. Uh, oh, it was I didn't even I didn't even say today. like my point being I don't have strict notes for this, so I'm gonna do my best to just go through it as I remember it. Yep. I don't even fully. I don't remember who we meet first. I I can't remember if it's Noriko or Shuya, uh, that we meet, but essentially That's we just. Cool. We just kind of, I think we get a little bit of classroom stuff. Like, like we said, there's like that. It's like she is like narrating, I think, at the top of the movie. Noriko comes into the classroom. Oh, that's right. Because they've all ditched. Because all of them decided to skip uh, skip school, but she missed the memo. And so the teacher's just looking depressed. I, I thought, um, and I thought that would be more of a factor, like, because there's a very like common theme in like Japanese media because it's such a problem in japanese society of like outsiders and people that have been like left out of groups and stuff yeah. and that is one of the characters in this movie that's like her deal but noriko like didn't get clued into the memo and yet like she i thought that was gonna be more of an aspect of her character uh but it just didn't never really seem to factor in uh, the, the only thing it really seemed to do was she seemed like kind of an innocent character that kitano the teacher liked okay yeah, yeah. she gets uh, she gets bullied they, they bring yeah, that up. She, she gets bullied she is a little picked bit. on uh which it is like a thing that it, if you don't guys don't know a lot about japanese like you society we tend to think of them as like a very like oh everyone's like you know kind and respectful and it's all about like respect and culture and stuff but then i've watched enough media to know like the bullying is super it's really bad. bad and like japanese like suicide rate is like out of control well, and, and that's also because <laughs> of their work hours yeah <laughs> that's it's like literally they they work so hard that they sometimes like sleep at their office or and then if they're not working they're in a bar just literally getting blackout drunk. Yeah, and, uh, and they have uh, it's very common for their buildings to have their business offices to have like um like suicide nets yeah. and stuff on the side, <laughs> which is insane because that means if somebody jumps out the window in the hopes that they'll die, they just bounce off of it and they go get back to work. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I mean, I, presumably it just prevents them from jumping in the first place because it'll not work, but... You know, it could make a statement. Yeah, it'd be kind of funny <laughs> to, to to just jump off the top of a building and then... Just see, like, like, does, well, does your boss make you go back to work or do you get at least one day off? <laughs> Unpaid, naturally, but you still get... Well, there's, a, there's a new anime that came out called Zom 100 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I've been seeing stuff for that. And that's like the premise of the first episode is he's so miserable at his job that when the zombie apocalypse happens, he's, his first reaction is to be like, holy shit, I don't have to go to work today. Yeah, he's like ecstatic. <laughs> and it yeah. feels like, it feels extreme, but it also feels like 
you know, our art is born from the things that we experience in society. Yeah. I even read that, read this really dark story, actually, that the director of Battle Royale, uh, you know, he's an older guy. He actually was making the sequel when he, when he passed away. Mm. Um, he and his class were forced to work in like a munitions factory during the Second World War. And God. the factory got bombed and like kids died and stuff. And he remembered he has, of course, very vivid memories of that experience, and he was drawing from that a little bit uh, when he Jeez. was like making this movie. That's nuts, actually, because <laughs> uh, it is like I mean, this movie is a statement. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty it's a heavy, pretty statement. profound one. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and, and that's something actually. It kind of ties into the whole like being miserable and kind of wanting to get out of the routine. Uh, the one girl whose uh, name I'm sure you remember better than me starts with an M. Um, Mitsuko. Yes. So she leans right into murder. Yeah. Because uh, her life was like pretty fucked already. Yeah. And so it's not even her snapping. It's like a natural progression. Well, yeah. You, <laughs> like, you find out later in the movie, like for me, I think there's different versions of the movie. For me, I got a scene at the very end where everyone's gathered at the basketball game, but she's like off to the side alone. Yeah. And she like, like they're all cheering. And then she just kind of like leaves. Yeah, and then of course you, I don't, I'm, I don't know when because I heard this might be in different places depending on the movie. But right before she died, in the spoilers, I guess for Battle Royale. Yep, we're uh, gonna get into them. Uh, I got the flashback of what the time like her mom, her, her mom her tried to sell her. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was like, holy shit. Well, uh, it's it's and it is a little ambiguous because it's like it's like the guy that her mom was with is trying you know trying things with the child but it's like it's hard to tell if the mom wanted that to happen or if she was so drugged out that she just couldn't no, stop it was him. pretty obvious to me because she well she has a wad of cash yeah. that she's like well but oh. I, I thought that too but then she there's that moment where she's like you have to be a good girl so you don't end up like me and so yeah. i thought that was because i thought she was the prostitute and the guy was a client but she was like not in a state to stop the guy from assaulting her. I took it that her mom but sold her. You could, you could be right. Because <laughs> uh, like that guy seemed, he seemed to have one goal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like he even had a plan with a doll. Because uh, I was like, I was like, I wonder how implied this is going to be. And then they were just like, they're like, we're not even going to imply it. We're just going to like, he's just fully going to. We're letting you know. He's going to fully go for it. I, I was like, you know, props to the movie. This is a movie where. I was braced for sexual assault the whole movie and yeah. was, was pleasantly surprised when it wasn't that much of a factor. Yeah. It's brought up <laughs> twice. Cause then there's that, there's the guy who, yeah, there's the guy who's like obsessed with that one girl, which it was like playful when they were in school. Cause she has kind of like a hallucination well, of him riding his bike with her. Well, there's a, there's the one guy, I can't remember what his name is. It's like, it starts with like a K. Uh, and he's like, uh, yeah, it's Sugimura. So there's Sugimura, who seems to be like pretty competent, cool guy. He was the one that was jogging with her when she was riding her bike. Uh, other way around, she was jogging. She, yeah, she, yeah. she was jogging. He was riding his bike with her. The guy that has the crossbow that he points—that's a completely different guy mm -hmm. uh, who tries to. He basically is yeah. like, basically is like, well. He's like, if you won't hook up with me, then maybe I'll just do it anyway. Yeah, because he's like, well, we're going to die anyway, so, you know, you don't want to die a virgin. That whole, you know, we've all used that line once or twice. Um, <laughs> but he then... Classic. But then he's like, got the crossbow. He's like, you know, I could just force myself on you. And I was like, 
That's uh, is that supposed to encourage her? Or <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, when he said that, I was like, but the tone, the way that at that point, the tone of the movie, I was like, I'm pretty sure we're not about to get like a full on R scene here. No, uh, and well, especially because he he seemed cracked when he said it. You know, like yeah. he had this like unhinged smile, and he was sweating profusely. Yeah, and, like, but yeah, that's that's go go. Uh, yeah, from from Kill Bill, yeah, but. It is. Uh, but then, like, ironic that she's wearing a yellow tracksuit. I actually, think that was like but... kind of like sort of like maybe what caught Tarantino's eye. It could be. Uh, but and then you know, there's this old man that was gonna uh, do horrible things to Mitsuko uh, when she was young, but she fucking boot- she pushed him down the stairs. <laughs> she boots him down the stairs and kills him. I was like, hell yeah. yeah so it's like, so she has already killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, oh shit, her hands are bloody already. Yeah, she just clearly takes it a little far. It is it like gets... a good. It's like a. It sucks because like. Spoilers, she's my favorite character, even though she's kind of evil, yeah. but, but it's just like, I find that kind of character very compelling and it was like really good character building stuff where it's like, oh, from the jump, she's had to, she's had to defend, fight for her life yeah. and she can only, de- her own mother sold her and is like, so that's why she has the worldview that she does. And yeah. I found that really interesting. I, I would say like, this is a classic scenario where our two main characters are the blandest characters yeah, in the movie. They're they're pretty uninteresting. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think which might have been intentional, might not have been. Because if, <laughs> if they were going for like the whole every man and every woman kind of stare like archetypes, they just kind of need to be. If they're supposed to be the audience surrogate, they're just supposed to be kind of blank slates. It's but... something I think that happens a lot, especially in shows or movies where there's a fairly sizable ensemble the pov protagonist character tends to ironically kind of get the shaft in terms of like being interesting because they i have talked about it before maybe even on the show but it's like you know sometimes like when i write stuff i have to like cast it and it's like the side characters you can almost always sum up in like one thing where it's like It's like bits ago. It's like unhinged, beautiful, but will kill anyone. And then it's like the, you know, the crazy student that's actually there because he wants to just kill everybody. Like, yeah, you can you you get what his deal is. Like everyone else, you kind of get what their deals are. They have like a thing. Yeah. But then like the protagonist like doesn't really have a thing. Like they always forget to give the main character anything interesting yeah and i I almost feel like it's it's like a weird compensation thing where they're like well they get the most screen time so we don't have to pump as much like unique energy into them (laughs) because you're gonna be seeing them the whole time the only thing that i found interesting about him was there was like definitely a couple girls who were clearly interested in him and liked him yeah and i was like so clearly he's like like, he's like a nice guy and he has he has like the i will protect you swell a bad choice in best friends i guess <laughs> yeah um, well he you know as he explains like he had to go live in a foster home and he, yeah. met, he met nobu like there and nobu was like really friendly to him yeah uh but it's, it is like it's like get, get your boy in line dude i know yeah because it keeps flashing back to to nobu and it's like I still don't feel bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got flashbacks, like playing sad music and like that, that dream sequence where he catches the basketball is like slowly waving at him. And I'm like, I still don't feel bad. <laughs> He's all pale and he looks like a ghost. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, speaking of like, I think this is roughly where we see the teacher get stabbed and there's yeah. like some narration that's like, he just walked out of school and never came back. Uh, Apparently got a job at the government after that, yeah. uh, but yeah. uh, but then it's like 
because I think I think uh, I've already Shuya. I think he's like narrating, and he has like this whole thing where he's like, you know, things were fucked up, but we still tried our best to like have fun, have fun, and then we get the first flash of this basketball game that we're gonna see five thousand shots. Yeah, of. that was the main. <laughs> the basketball game was like the primary. It was the primary like them having normal lives flash that we saw. Yeah, I think it was just because it like showed you the basically the entire class yeah. having a good time together because it was like all the boys were on the team and the girls were either in the stands or cheerleading and so like and then i think even the teacher was there like so i, th I think it was like it was their way of showing them all together being normal kids to kind of contrast what was happening sure on the island it was just like uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't like a, i get why they were doing it but it definitely was not a compelling enough piece of anything for me to like care that yeah, much. You kind of just keep seeing it. <laughs> yeah, over you just and keep over seeing it. It's like, oh, here's this character. He was in the basketball he game too. He was also too. playing basketball. Like, okay. And then this one, this one watched them play basketball, <laughs> but she was there. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was probably that was one of those things that didn't land quite as. Uh, it didn't land with quite as much of a splash. Yeah, but... we we cut to they're on a bus together. Uh, I like this little bit because like we immediately get some character relationship stuff here where yeah. Noriko clearly loves uh Shuya. Yeah. Uh, gives him the cookies. This like it's like this is a kind of a classic Japanese trope of like a lot of their shows of like Especially in schools. The like really complicated like love triangles, like confessions of love are kind of a big thing and so this movie is just rife with like this character likes this character, but that character actually likes this character. Yeah. And so it's like this, you could like draw this very complicated cork board of this movie. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, like there's like not a single character in this movie other than maybe the couple that jump off the cliff together where there's like not a single character in this movie who is with the character that they want to be with. Yeah. Uh, and Except for like the protagonist. Well, no, because like he, the whole time it's like, I don't, like, does he ever say he actually likes Noriko? Because, like, his entire thing, the whole movie, is like, I promised Nobu I would take care of her because Nobu likes her. And That's like, true. I feel like he, because she tries to give him, she tries to give, because the, the, he the, implies in the flashback when they're in their room together that he likes someone, but he, like, waits for Nobu to say who he likes first, and then he doesn't say who he does. I think so you're right. It, maybe, it, maybe, uh, maybe uh, I'm giving the, not giving the movie enough credit in the sense that it was subtle enough to be like, he wasn't going to fight his friend for right. her, but he liked her too. But it never like goes there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It doesn't all... specify. I mean, really. I guess the end of the movie is they just live together now. So yeah, it's like, are they romantic? I, I don't know, but, but it's like, there. she clearly likes him because she wants to give him the cookies. Yes. And then nobody's and then she's like, really bummed when he's like, Oh, cookies for everyone. <laughs> and, then like, and then later she's like, you didn't even get to try the cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, the she, she's excited to like pose next to him. And yeah, uh, there's like a lot of, it is very funny that Nobu's like completely cut out of the picture, but yep. Shuya spends like the first chunk of the movie like crying over this picture that, and it's over Nobu, but you can't, like half his face. you can't even fucking see him in the picture. Yeah, <laughs> it's that just, was pretty good. It's kind of, for that, that being the intent of what that photo was, it's very funny. Yeah. Like at first I thought it was funny because like, oh, it's cute because it actually inadvertently looks like a couple photo mm -hmm. with those two but then that all that happens with that photo is he cries over nobu using yeah it. so it's like at that point you just put him in the fucking photo i think i, I also <laughs> i think it also is supposed to like i think it's supposed to also kind of mirror the picture of keiko and um yeah very much his so. name 
um because they're the whole like oh that's the smile you, that's a smile you only make if you're in love and like, it is like i mean credit to the movie you know nobu is weirdly the entity that hangs over this couple the whole Fucking movie. somehow the cat. it's like literally physically you see in the photo nobu is hanging he's over literally the like looming above them both <laughs> uh but Hate they, that kid. they cut they cut to like everyone's like passed out and, and the thing is like i didn't even, there's like it doesn't show it the, whenever you read a synopsis it's like they get gassed, and, and and but I'm like, you never see them get gassed. You don't see it happen, but like you see the bus driver and one other person wearing gas masks. Yeah. So, but it's like very Squid Game. Yeah. Extremely, basically Squid Game. <laughs> basically Squid Game. <laughs> uh, but they, it's funny because Shuya seems to be the only one that manages to shake it off. Yeah, that part I found was kind of bizarre. I think it was just because they couldn't find a better way to show the audience that they were gassed it's confusing because, <laughs> it's confusing because he seems to like see the cookies and he's like crawling towards the cookies and so i'm trying to like keep up with the movie and i'm like were the cookies poisoned i was like no no it was like because my mind is just like spinning because this is my first time yeah and so then i'm starting to concoct like noriko's in on it theories with the and, cookies and, stuff. <laughs> and i was like because he didn't eat the cookies but then i was like but but like even the way he's moving, he's stumbling around. So clearly they all just got gassed. Yeah. He just I don't know why he has some kind of tolerance to <laughs> knockout gas, but that he, part was kind of weird. He, he huffs it on the weekend. I know. I was like literally I was like, oh, he is a delinquent. He's just <laughs> uh very funny that's it's the, the only way he can sleep. The woman in the gas mask just walks up and fucking clocks Bops him. <laughs> I was like, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Uh, no, I thought that yeah, I thought that was weird. Um it is interesting because again, it's like, oh, there's just like Squid Game. It's like, no, Squid Game is just like this actually but like yeah yeah I've, I've, i think i really think it was like a shortcut because they were like huh we need to show he's our pov but we have to show the audience that this happened but they're all unconscious how do we do that yeah like, just kind of like well what if he's not <laughs> like what if he's just not? i mean the, the thing the thing that they should have done but would have cost more is just show them getting gassed yeah. uh, <laughs> but yeah. they decided to do the, this weird version of it i mean i guess it's more shocking because it's like if they don't remember it happening it's sort of like it's sort of freaky he's like wakes up he's like why is everybody asleep why are they not waking up yeah they're um, in this like weird like abandoned classroom they all start waking up simultaneously somehow uh which is that's another thing it's like m movies have like lured you into this idea that like you can just throw knockout gas in a room and knock everybody out but it's like being an anesthesiologist is like a job that you have to <laughs> yeah. like go get a phd for because like determining how much you can actually use to like properly knock someone out and not kill Without them, them is, dying it's yeah. like like these kids half these kids have just died from being gassed yeah. uh but again not that i'm getting hung up on that like my suspension yeah. of belief my suspension of belief is properly suspended at this yes point. It's yeah fine. they establish kind of like what you're willing to buy <laughs> and what you're not willing to buy uh, and you're like okay I can buy this for now <laughs> or but, that the teach the teacher also because yeah because then they, they wake up and it's the teacher who quit because he got stabbed in the ass um but also he said that the, the students just didn't respect him and apparently his daughter hates him yeah so he just like has nothing but resentment for the youth it's very but. funny because he ends up getting like some of the most character development in the yeah. movie Genuinely which does. is like a weird choice because he's basically the villain he is the villain like, but he, but really he's he's, he's the, like a proponent of the system though. yeah he's a like, villain but really he's just a face of a system yeah like whereas society and the government is like the real villain yeah but he's like 
he is like the one famous guy in this movie at the time, and he's good. He is good. Yeah. It's and it's funny too because I was like I can't. I was like, does his voice just sound like that, or is he just like wearing it out? Like, hold on, I was like, ooh, <laughs> like he had very husky. He, uh, I love his vibe because yeah. he's like he's treating it like it's just a normal day, but like the scenario is so dark. Well, and I feel like he's got like some he's got some cocky swagger to him the entire very time much so. because I feel like it's like. He, he was the teacher. He was supposed to be in charge, but he never felt like he was in control. Now that he is in charge of this death game, now he f- finally feels like he can teach and he's actually the one in control. Yeah. And, and of course, like all the other adults here are all just military garb, but yeah. he's got like a tracksuit on. Yeah. Uh, like, which is just like, he's just, he's a fun character because he's just, he's like so whacked out too. Or well, and, and this movie has, and I think that this was tactical, but. For, you know, the base subject matter is extremely dark. Um, and so they balance it out with humor that's actually pretty well placed. Yeah. Like when she's like, oh, you never did get to try those cookies. And it's like, oh, that's sad. And then it hard cuts to him on a couch eating the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, I thought that was great. Like, they do seem to reserve. A, I mean, he is a comedian. Like he's like, oh, a, really? he's like a famous comedian. And like. He did Takeshi's Castle and <laughs> oh yeah, you all, did say that before. all that stuff. So like he's his comedic timing is good. Yeah, he's got that sort of like exaggerated swagger. Whereas like the kids are all like most of them are actually pretty young. Like like only like a handful of them are actual teenagers. But yeah. the oldest people on the cast were like twenty five. Well, it's more convincing high schoolers than like most American for media. sure. Now, granted, it helps that Japanese people tend to stop aging once they hit sixteen, <laughs> uh, and then suddenly they're ninety, and there's really no in between. But like, yeah, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like everybody but white people ages pretty good. Yeah, uh, and then but. And that's why it's very funny that like for for decades we're like, let's have twenty year olds play kids in high school. Yeah. And it's like it's like if you just didn't have an all white cast, this probably would be more convincing. Mm-hmm. But white people age like so, milk. So shittily. White as milk. <laughs> um uh they curdle. <laughs> we curdle hard. Um, <laughs> uh but it is like yeah, so he's just like sort of casually telling them everyone's pretty good job, I think, of like everyone's sort of reacting how I think it would mostly go down. Yeah. Where it's like, you're initially confused. They do exist in a world where they know this is a thing. Well, and that's something that I, that Mariah and I talked about. We almost want, cause they seem really shocked and he's basically like, why are you surprised? This is a thing that can happen. But then he kind of implies like, well, you never listened in class. And so I'm <laughs> like, I wonder if they actually don't realize that this is a thing. Like if some of them literally pay so little attention to the world, that they actually aren't aware that this is a thing that can happen. Yeah, there's a very but. funny one of my favorite moments is Nobu, who is the kid that fucking stabbed him, is mouthing off to him a little bit, yeah. and he fucking slaps Nobu, and Nobu yeah. looks like shocked. Yeah, and I was like, shook. I was like, even if you weren't in the middle of a death game, like you stabbed this man. Yeah, like why you look that surprised? And, <laughs> and that's why I think they shouldn't have tried. That's why I think one of the parts where it stumbles is them trying to get us to sympathize with him because I think it would be a good representation of he's literally so entitled that he stabbed a teacher and was like, well, of course I got away with it. And then he gets slapped and is like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You can't do that. The world is so unjust right now. Like they're trying to, I I love all the stuff with the video 
He's like, he's like, now pay attention. We're going to watch a video. And they, of course, just have this like super high the most energy. Animu. <laughs> Everybody chick, like, pay attention. I'm going to tell you about the death game. Like wild gesticulations showing them like how not to die. <laughs> and they also, they also clearly record this video every year. Because yeah, because she calls the kids by name. Yeah, and stuff. it's specific to the class. Also, very funny that she's wearing the neck thing. Uh, yeah, well, she's got to demonstrate. It's like yeah. airline, you know, <laughs> demonstration. Should be mentioned when the kids wake up. If you guys haven't seen this movie before, everyone's been strapped with plot device neck thing. Uh, every death game has to have one of these, yep. where the, you come up with some scientific explanation for. Why they can track and monitor everybody. Yeah, Belco uh, experiments got the implants. Yeah, it's like you, the Suicide Squad have chips in their head yep. that can be detonated. It's Squid Game. I can't remember. I think they have bracelets or something. Uh, well, they're all stuck in a facility. Yeah, they're, so. the, the facility's like heavily monitored. Yeah. Um, but it's like, and, and it's fine. You know, it's like they, they at least like don't, you find out that there's listening devices in the trackers and stuff, but. They, you know, they, they, because of the technology at the time, they didn't fully go, like, also video feed from the necklaces, yeah. which was, like, I was fully expecting that to be a thing at some point, so. Yeah, the necklaces are basically, like, they have a microphone, a heartbeat monitor slash tracker, and then they can also explode. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably, they're packed with, like, C4. Yeah. Uh, which I really like the way they present it, though, because you only ever see, like, one of them pop. You, you, tec you, you technically one, but... see two... But the second time, it's only because Ka Kawara shoots that kid in the neck. In the neck, yeah. And causes it to explode. Yeah, cause, but what's cool about it, and maybe it was a budgetary thing, but I also kind of like it, is that like it's not like their head just watermelons. Yeah, it's not like scanners. It's literally like a <laughs> pop. It's just like a little pop on their throat, and then their throat just geysers. Yeah, um, I, was, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised by that, too, because like yeah. it happens here pretty... like. Nobu actually isn't the first to die here. No. Uh, there's like a girl that's whispering and Kitano fucking apparently is a, extremely He's deadly a dead with eye. A, dead eye with a knife. <laughs> uh, he just, well, because <laughs> the first two times people are whispering during the video, he yells at him and throws chalk at him. Yeah. And it nails him right in the forehead. <laughs> and then the third time he has to say something, he throws a knife at this girl and hits her right between the eyes. And, and so if there was any doubts at this point, it's like you just watched him kill somebody. Yeah. And then Nobu... I can't remember what fully prompts Kitano to blow Nobu up. Like he like rushes him. Yeah. Like after he slaps him, he's like, "This is bullshit," and he actually like runs at him and tries to attack him. Yeah. And so we get this really awkward moment where Nobu's like trying to beg for help. He's trying to like yeah. grab people too. It's yeah. Like, and the, fucking get and off. It's me. like the necklace is beeping, and so they have to. He's like clamoring at people for help and they're just pushing him away because they don't want to blow up with him and so <laughs> it's like again if it was any other character it'd be tragic because he's he literally is like crying for help and he's just by himself and everyone's just like get away from me and then yeah. he dies but I was like well I'm not gonna necessarily say he deserves to die but maybe he's kind of sucks he's kind of <laughs> sucks uh, a classic like uh, Nobu Shuya! yeah they both they reach out to each other like <laughs> Very funny. It's like, uh, you ever see the, the third Children of the Corn movie? <laughs> no. Where it's like the kids getting strangled by these corn vines, and he's like, Josh! And it like rips his head off. <laughs> um, they so, so here's it's worth noting because I think I'm just going to not bring it up for the rest of the episode. They establish and they spend a lot of time on this concept that 
various areas of this island. By the way, they're on an abandoned island that's been yes. evacuated. There's no way to get off the island. They're, it's like, it's just, it's setting up like the, you're fucked. There's nothing you can yeah, do. Yeah, and you can't go anywhere, and you don't know where you are. And... It's like, they have three days, and at the end of three days, there needs to be one person left alive. If there's more than one person left alive, they're all just going to get blowed up. Yeah, they detonate all the collars. So it's like, yeah, it's like either you can, like, it's, yeah, it's, you know, classic setup. Yeah. But the other part of this setup that never factors into the movie ever is <laughs> there will, uh, hourly will designate certain zones that become dangerous and if you are within that zone when the time elapses which they don't really explain when but so that actually that took me a minute to figure out but it's starting at a certain time that zone is just a death zone yeah. and it will be for the entire rest of the game that's what i didn't realize when he first mentioned them oh it, they stay death zones. yes okay because he says from one o'clock this is a death zone uh, you, and so you get narratively why they do it because you're it, it's literally how they do the battle royale genre of games yeah where you have the to area keep, closes you in. have to keep shrinking the area so that you're forcing people into proximity with each other so they have to kill each other and you can't just have somebody like hiding what's, what's utterly baffling is not one person ever gets to death zone if you introduce no. a, if you introduce a concept like this someone has to get death zone. yeah it's it's chekhov's death zone and uh, they didn't apply it like then, uh two if they can track where characters are, if you saw three characters sitting in a warehouse doing the, cause those three hacker characters yeah. never leave that zone. If you're controlling the death game, you go, that's going to be a death zone. I don't want them hanging out in that area or, anymore. Or the girls in the lighthouse. It implies yeah, that they were it's, all it's so, clustered it's in so there. It's so baffling that like they wouldn't just death zone areas where yeah. people are, are like hiding out. Unless they thought it would be fair to randomize it. <laughs> well, okay another another thing with the randomization that cracked me up so yeah they, they ran the death zones pop up and they, they they're like we have to move her we're gonna be in one of those zones yeah but yeah i just thought of that yeah nope it never applies <laughs> but then the funniest thing is they give them these bags yeah. where they're like you got water you got a single baguette and then you have like <laughs> a compass and a weapon now the weapon's totally random so you just gotta get lucky and like they like really mean that shit because it's anywhere from like some people get knives and axes and fully automatic assault rifles <laughs> and then like the main character gets a pot lid <laughs> and I'm like which which is ironically <laughs> another staple of the video game genre the randomization of yeah. the equipment you have to like hope you get lucky and stumble across and a stumble good across gun. good loot yeah uh, so which is funny to see it literally put in a movie like this yeah. but it is like it could be anything from a fully automatic gun to a paper fan. Yeah. Like our main characters actually get a pot lid and binoculars. And, binoculars. Uh, and I think some of the other things we see that are kind of funny are someone gets like a GPS phone. And it can track where everybody else is. That's yeah. actually genuinely useful. <laughs> yeah. Like you can uh, play defense that way. A, a big but... a big factor of the game is essentially like beating other people to acquire their loot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I, I I keep forgetting what his name is. It starts with a K. The crazy guy? Uh yeah, the crazy guy. The transfer student who literally volunteered. Yeah, you find out at Kiriyama, uh, you find out that he wanted to be a part of the death game because he just wants to kill people. He never gets any development. He he essentially is the Terminator. Yeah. Uh and and which is fine. Yeah. Although I, I was pissed that like he finally comes across Mitsuki 
and I was like, oh, or is it Mitsuko? Uh, and uh, they are going to fight. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Mitsuko. Yeah. And I was like, Mitsuko has to be the one that takes this guy out, right? And then he fucking nope. killed her. No, the like, main people got to take I him like, out. No. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so he at some point approaches a bunch of people and seems to only have a fan. I don't know if he was faking it or not. I think he genuinely had just a fan. But he just walks up to some people and like they're all like, we have guns. We're, we're going to form a group, though. And he just takes one of their guns and kills all of them. It's so funny because they have like a fully automatic weapon. <laughs> it's kind of like an Uzi, but it's a little heavier than that. And then like it, they get right up in his face. So he just disarms them and just shoots them all. And I'm yeah. like, you guys are idiots. Well, like you had a ranged weapon and you got that close. One to thing they'll give, one thing I'll say in defense of this movie is they are all literal children. Yes. <laughs> it's funny to an extent. Yeah. Cause the, there's a portion of it where you're like, like the, the guy at the beginning who randomly starts spouting, like math equations to prove how smart he is. And he's like, I'm going to get in a really good school. Listen to how smart I am. I'm like, okay, yeah, naturally this guy is not a marksman. He's a nerd. So he like, he's like terrible with his revolver. But then you start to realize everybody in that movie, they're two feet away from someone. They miss like everybody misses like every shot, except for when they hit them with 34 bullets and the person just stands back. up. <laughs> But yeah, it, it jumps off pretty quickly. Like they they call them one by one and tell them they need to exit the building. And like and take as the soon, bag. As, like as soon as Shuya runs out, he's he's planning on waiting for Noriko. But uh, fucking the first kid that left, this like heavy set kid, is just he crossbows this chick in the throat. Yeah, and like he's coming at Shuya, and then Shuya has to run. And then that guy like drops his crossbow and some other kid picks it up and fucking shoots him. So like, we're just getting like two deaths right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Oh shit. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. Like it gets a little jumbled for me from here. I guess we can kind of go through the broad strokes yeah. of everything. Yeah. I, Cause it's, yeah. Cause it's, I, I, it's I think, sort of I a... think Shuya and Noriko find each other pretty quickly. Pretty early. Uh, we have a sort of a defining incident early on where someone comes at Shuya with an ax and Shuya tries to defend himself with the pot lid, ironically. Yeah. Uh, and in the midst of their fight, the ki the kid that charged him sort of takes the axe to the dome. Yeah, and you and I think it's purposeful that you don't see exactly how it happens. Yeah, but because like you, like as the movie goes on, you definitely don't feel like like well. First off, Shuya would have been fully justified in defending yes. himself there, but it's also like he's a he's a bit of a pacifist to a certain extent. Like, <laughs> yeah, and like. The, the other thing is like there's someone that sees this happen and it's going to factor into the story yeah later. which that confused me at first because all the characters are wearing identical clothes except for the two transfer students yeah and so this chick sees him kill this other guy and he actually asks um noriko to confirm he's like did i just kill him like yeah because it happened so fast he even he didn't really register it but this other girl sees it happen but the way it's cut She's got very similar hair to Noriko. She's wearing the same outfit. Half of her hair is covering her face and she's hiding in the bushes. So I literally thought that was her. <laughs> so later I was, I got really confused. I had to like re piece it together. So it should be said that this movie for most of the characters does a decent job. Cause when you have a movie where you literally are introducing 40 characters, yeah. like you have to, and they're all wearing the same, same school uniform. uniform. Like you have to do things to make them stick out from each other. Yeah. And the movie mostly does a good job with that. 
the most confusing part is the gaggle of girls at the lighthouse. Yeah. Cause like other than slightly different haircuts, they're all wearing the same clothes. Yeah. And they like, cause as the movie goes on, we basically have like headband guy yeah. and like our main character, like he gets a, he gets like bandage on his head. So he's really easy to identify as the movie goes on. Like our transfer student, he's got, the blue jacket and the crazy like fucking yakuza yeah and, hair. Then, and then the other guy yeah yeah they have to like the both of them have different outfits yeah. and mitsuko she's like pretty distinct and she she sheds her school outfit pretty quickly yeah so when we see her she's like in the white tank top and mm -hmm. it's like okay that's her one of them wears a tracksuit later yeah so which, is, which is like her. great yeah it's like you just have to give them different wardrobe yeah it's it's you know it's well, especially tough. since so much of it's like wide shots um like you're not even seeing them up close for a good chunk of it. So you have to really know who you're following when the camera yeah. cuts to a new group of people. And, and I do think they do a decent job of doing that, but they're could all, have been worse, but could have been better. Yeah. There, there, <laughs> there are moments when it's like, I'm not a hundred percent sure who this character is. Yeah. I fully got the chick that would go on to play Gogo -Go confused with Mitsuko for a second. Oh yeah. I thought Mitsuko had put on a track jacket <laughs> yeah. and I was like, okay, so now Mitsuko's got a track jacket. Well, and, okay. and at first, and when he wakes up at the lighthouse, cause there's a bit of a time jump because he falls into the water and everything. I thought the girl who saw him ax the guy at first, I thought that was Noriko. And then I was like, oh, she doesn't have the bandage on her arm. Yeah. Um, but so then that kind of helped me piece that together. But. And, and there's, and there's characters we'll see who have not really been, differentiated but usually that's a pretty good sign they're just gonna get murdered yes like, uh, like my, my one of my favorites is this couple that's like an actual couple and he and he's just like i refuse to kill anybody and, and she fucking throws her bag in the ocean yeah. and, then, and then they just link arms i love that he like he like covers his face with the crook of his elbow and then they just fucking leap to their they just deaths. jump but like i was like yeah good for you man like i i do think i think if i was in this game i would just probably hide for three days and at the end of three days if it was like clear that we weren't gonna well what i would do if i was in this game is i would desperately try to rally as many people as i could with good weapons and just attack yeah. like i know it's a it's a heavily fortified trained army but I mean, if your choice is die or try to take those guys out, I think that's the move. Yeah, which uh, a group does try to do. At there's one like three point. guys who uh, start to attempt to do that. Yeah, but it's that like fizzles out completely. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just have to you have to get that. But but the thing is, like they you know they say like oh they purposely brought in these transfer students to make sure that things would stay chaotic. Yeah, because like it does feel like every single time a group starts to form fucking terminator guy will just show up and murder all of yeah. them and so he inadvertently keeps stamping out any potential re rebellions yeah. <laughs> well that's where dude let me tell you that's where the fucking all the hunger games shit came from because it's like you have the base concept okay that's obvious but then you, like the death zones that's a thing like when fireballs shoot out of the, the air uh, and shit at Katniss, and then like, <laughs> so you have that. Then you have. I, I was like I said, I've not, I've yeah. not seen a Hunger Games. Well, I'll tell you this much: fireballs materialize at the air and shoot at her because she's going like quote out of bounds or some shit. And then they have a kid in the in Battle Royale where one of the transfer students he actually had was the winner of a previous one. Yeah. And then, you know, second Hunger Games, they're like, we're gonna have winners come back and do it again, and then. <laughs> The Hunger Kidding. Games is like meant to be a spectacle, though, right? Because like, isn't Maybe. isn't like the isn't like the backbone of the idea of that world that they 
keep all the zones in line by doing the Hunger Games. Yeah, <laughs> and then it just like doesn't work. <laughs> it's just like there's this review I saw where it's like there's this kid that dies because the, there's this kid that gets killed in the first movie who in the grant I didn't read the book so maybe it's a little more it has heavier emotional weight but I'm like you get to know this kid for a grand total of maybe five minutes and then they make ten minutes out of her death but like she dies and her district like full route full riots and so like all these people are getting shot and they're taking out all the guards and stuff and it's like you mean to tell me that the person from their town from their district was a literal child and they were like completely thrown off that she didn't make it (laughs) 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 just like what (laughs) i am really fat i'm always fascinated by the idea of like a spectacle that keeps the masses complacent yeah because like I've heard people talk about how, to a certain extent, like sports almost are a spectacle. I yeah. remember Dan Harmon had this really interesting rant on Harmontown once where he was like, football basically is just to keep like people that are like very macho masculine men complacent. Yeah. Cause like instead of like, he's like, if they didn't, weren't able to direct their anger towards watching a football game, they would direct their anger towards the like- government. like since like i've always been very and that's not and i don't say that to be demeaning to people that like sports it's okay to like sports but it is funny to think like to a certain extent we are kept complacent by like sports and media and because gladiator games are considered unethical yeah i mean to a certain extent like there's a lot of times when you stray into dystopian stuff where we've we've evolved to the point where we have like full-on like running man type stuff going on it's like there are times when i look at the world and go not out of the question honestly uh like i could see it like we're 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 approaching it there's a very popular sport where guys full-on slap each other in the face until they knock each other (laughs) unconscious slapping is crazy to watch too (laughs) but some people fucking love it and i'm like these people are you're literally watching brain damage happen in real time Uh, hey i mean that's football too there's more more brain damage occurs from football than from ufc or kickboxing 100 percent uh it's a great point and i heard apparently um a large part of the reason is because they they haven't redesigned the helmets yeah but i heard apparently the most effective redesign for the helmets would make them quieter when they collide and that's why the nfl does not want to do it is because that clunking sound is so iconic that they don't want to get rid of it (laughs) they are literally willing to let these people basically suffer lifelong debilitating injuries so that you can hear a clunk (laughs) 100 absolutely wild i was listening to something and they were joking about like there was a time where they were starting to make chip bags that it was like they were much more biodegradable yeah but people didn't like the way they sounded because they were too crinkly they were too crinkly They're, they were loud as hell so yeah <laughs> it's like oh uh this is better for the earth but it's too crinkly but it's annoying my ears <laughs> that's the society that we live yeah, in. yeah i mean rough. we live in a society where like you know our country especially is like very guilty of like for me i don't recycle very much and part of it's just because it's inconvenient to recycle and so i'm i'm a part of the problem (laughs) for sure but it is like we could make steps in society to make recycling better yeah it's like better societies have machines on the street where 
you can put a bottle in and it'll give you like fucking five cents back uh, and stuff. Like you can make your money back from yeah. the bottle. You're encouraged to recycle. Mm-hmm. And, and instead we just live in like, we're just going to keep making dump landfill after landfill yeah. until there's nowhere to live Man. anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's interesting. Cause like battle Royale's dystopia is very, it's very unique. Cause it, it isolates it to Japan, which somehow makes it less annoying than than trying to say the entire planet all went the sure. same direction um like i mean even 1984 i think is it's just like a large chunk of to europe where oceania is supposed to be there's, there's like a it's not I great forget, audio but, but i shrugged <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know like like i mean v for vendetta is a really good example of like an effective and believable dystopia where like yeah it kind of portrays the entire rest of the world as going through awful shit but it's centralized to britain i don't know it's i think it's tough right now because i think it's hard to not imagine that we're not going to be living in a dystopia like 20 years from now maybe I, i think i think some of it's like an exaggeration like i think it's like certain things getting worse like Will it lead to literally like overlords controlling your every move? Like it's probably a little much. I don't know. But like, I feel like I feel like every other month, I casually will hear about some natural disaster that killed thousands of people. Yeah, and a lot yeah, of these but, natural disasters are like because we fucked the climate up so much. Yeah, uh, and it's just like I don't know. Like it's like it feels like we're currently on the precipice of a dystopia. Like everything costs too much money, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and I mean, like yeah, we we, we bitch, have out but... we've officially outgrown the ability to sustain ourselves, and but we're still exponentially growing. Yeah, it's well, it's <laughs> interesting though. I almost feel like I almost feel like every decade kind of feels that way. Like if you if you were to talk to people in the '60s, they were probably like, "Yeah, dude, world's ending in about ten years. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think we're gonna make it." Like, yeah. I really do think like because it's like we take steps forward as we take steps backward. Because it's like if you look at like medicine and stuff. There's shit that would have killed you 20 years ago. Yeah. That's fine now. But then there's, you know, there's some give and take because there's other things that are definitively in a worse place. So it's like, eh, I don't know. You take what you can get, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm just salty because everything's so goddamn expensive now. Yeah, it is rough. <laughs> it is rough. It was, why did people fixate on eggs? That is not the thing I was concerned about. Like, I was like, okay, eggs are $2 now. <laughs> Whatever. How many eggs are you buying? <laughs> like, there's other shit that's actually like, oh, fuck, this is untenable. I can't buy this anymore. It wasn't eggs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just I'm just sick of going to the grocery store, getting five things and paying $50 yeah. for it. Uh, it's just, I can't, I, I, l- Lately, I have literally been barely making it through the month. Yeah, I, like, um, I drop like 90 plus dollars on groceries most of the time. And that's like weekly almost. It doesn't seem yeah, it sucks. It doesn't seem right. I know. <laughs> I know. But I don't know. But anyway, but yeah. Like I don't know. It's like, like I said. Like I, th- I think for battle royales, it's obviously it's goofy, and you you're established at the very beginning that it is a little goofy. But like within the context, they don't give you a whole lot of world building. They don't give you a whole lot of info to go off of but it's all contained to a single event on an island and that's as far as it goes it's fine you can sort of just live with it i'm always okay with like some implied stuff it's just i would have liked to have seen just a little bit more of a because it's like i think for me the brief glimpses of society that we do get nothing seems off like one of the flashbacks is is shuya at like a restaurant with his dad 
And the only thing that's notable about it is his dad. Is his dad. <laughs> his dad's like kind of like being a spazoid, but the restaurant seems normal. Yeah, it's running fine. It's like, uh, yeah, actually, and that would have been a good opportunity. They could have shown like armed guards outside of it or something, or like military patrolling the streets or something like that. Like something subtle. Yeah. That would have kind of shown you that the world, at least Japan, is kind of fucked. It's just like, I think, I think you just need like a scene where something as small as if the kids have been walking down the street and like they wanted to get something from a vending machine and the vending machine was like heavily armored so that it couldn't be like tampered with <laughs> yeah. or something yeah because the main impl implication was that like uh delinquency was just skyrocketing and the youth was just in full crime mode and like <laughs> and and like the adults couldn't do anything to stop it or just chose not to because yeah. they were all depressed and nobody had jobs. It's it's like the rant from fuck. What's that? What's that movie where where the guy, you know, that I'm I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore. <laughs> like it's like that whole rant. Network. Yeah. It, yes. Thank you. Exactly. It's like that entire rant <laughs> is exemplified in this movie, except it's just implied through like one basically title Star Wars esque title crawl at the beginning. Yeah. And like if if they hadn't, they have the one moment of the kid stabbing the teacher, which is so outrageous that you do go okay something's wrong with yes. this world yeah you're but, like okay but so then like their other teacher they seem to like a lot yeah they all loved him and they, they, oh, they I literally guess, i guess i forgot but they they fucking killed that guy yeah the government killed the teacher because he spoke out against his class being chosen <laughs> which is pretty fucked that was like weird yeah but it works for the metaphor because it's like even the adults can't stand up for the children or they'll just get killed yeah it's a very like fall in line type situation mm -hmm. where it's like all these soldiers are going along with it. Everyone's just going yeah. along with it. And it's I, it's and a very like, at least it's not me yeah. type. And it's kind of, it's not super black and white at least like when they're like, cause the idea is that, yeah, this is a serious problem. It's almost like everybody in charge just panicked. Cause they're like, we don't know how to fix it. Uh, and they just threw an idea in the hat. <laughs> like, yeah. I've, so it's like I've, everyone did wrong to some degree. I've had an idea in my head that I've been toying with for a while where the idea was our two main characters were going to be people who cheated on their spouses and with each other. Mm -hmm. And they get put basically in a most dangerous game scenario where they're given like a survival pack and like a head start and their spouses are going to hunt them. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, damn. and they have to get to the, they have to get to the finish line alive and the spouses are like legally allowed to hunt them while they're within the zone. And I've waffled back and forth between having it take place in a world where divorce has gotten so out of control that this is an actual thing that the government allows, <laughs> or I've ping ponged to this is highly illegal, but the spouse is like paid for this experience because this like yeah. rich guy owns this island. hunting club, <laughs> yeah. hostile kind of situation. And yeah. so, but I, I like the idea of it being a slight dystopia. And it's like, because I've always had this vision of like this montage where it's like, the government was controlled by an extremely conservative person who took power and he was able to push through this insane thing that can happen now. Yeah. But it is like the, my, my struggle is like the most dangerous game idea is something that's so fucking overdone. <laughs> yeah. it, it would feel hack to do. So that's why I mostly left that idea alone, but I, I, I can still, I, I like that idea a lot because I can imagine the characters really vividly. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a thing where even the spouses that are hunting the characters end up 
getting put into the game too so it ends up being like all four of them kind of have to work together yeah. well, to survive and as well, any story like that and like these death game ones because they're very they're very similar to most dangerous game it's just like the moral dilemma is different but like the circumstances are similar but like as long as you make it stand out and as long as you do you you tweak an element to make it not what all the others are that's i think where it can be strong because that's why i think like belco experiment i really like that movie mm -hmm. and it's pretty cookie cutter for the most part when yeah, it comes to this part. genre or subgenre or whatever but like it's still done in a way where you're excited, you're kind of tense, you actually care about at least a handful of the characters. Yeah. Um especially like the the like janitors in the basement. I freaking like J David Dasmalchen and freaking uh Michael Rooker. Yeah. And like they're barely in the movie and I was just like, "Oh man, I I, I, I feel so bad for these guys." Yeah. I, I couldn't tell if like I thought they were good characters or if I just like Michael Rooker and David Dismalchin. Yes. <laughs> cuz I I have a, I have a slight thing for Dismalchin cuz like a, a, someone that's from Fort Wayne is good friends with him and has mm -hmm. made movies with him. So I'm just like hyper aware of him. So I remember back when I saw the Belco experiment in theaters, yeah. like I was like, holy shit, David Smolchin's in this movie and he's just hanging out with Michael Rooker. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool. Like the cat. Yeah. There's a lot of, I don't even remember who like the leads of that movie are though. Name wise. I could not tell you. <laughs> I genuinely don't remember. I remember I was initially only interested because they were really slapping James Gunn's name all over it, mm -hmm. even though he didn't direct it. He had he like wrote no. wrote the script. He wrote like the treatment, and then he like produced it. I okay, think. so yeah, it is it is like I like I know who John Gallagher Jr. is, yeah. but I couldn't have like I would never. It's got, it's got the guy name. who's from like is it Scrubs or ER? Like one of one of the medical. I know John like, Gallagher yeah. from Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, he's really good in that yeah. movie. Uh, John C. McGinley is in it. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just like, but it's like, it's, it's so it's, I don't know the environment where it's like a business, it's an office setting, um, changes almost everything because the relationships between the coworkers, it's a very realistic relationship between coworkers, but normally it's a, you go home and complain about them yeah. and then it turns it into, well, when you heighten those emotions, to the absolute maximum degree what does that become and that's what that movie is and that's kind of where it shines yeah i will um, say that this this movie's that uh, belco experiment is guilty of a trope in certain movies that i hate though <laughs> big spoilers for the belco experiment like seriously is probably going to be one of the things i recommended at the end of the show because i do like it so if you haven't seen it skip ahead like a minute or two yeah. um but at the end they reveal that this is just one of many of these scenarios yeah, and, that's and going on every every building that's owned by belco doing the same thing I on know, the same I day like, i was like this sucks i hate when they do that yeah. they do it at the spoiler huh, if i say what movie it's spoilers for that's a spoiler in, <laughs> in and of itself there was a there was a fairly popular horror movie that came out around the same time that did the same thing i was like oh what an interesting little scenario that just happened and then at the, the last shot of the movie it zooms out and you realize it's happening at all these other houses too and you're i was just like shut the fuck up i i hate when movies do that but it wasn't like a movie ruining thing for yeah. me but yeah anyway it's end of spoilers for the belco experiment yes. uh but, I, I would say it's actually it bleeds into other um, media as well because if you've ever played it's for the there's a video game for the wii called mad world <laughs> um that it's very comic booky but like the entire premise is that this essentially terrorist group cuts off this island and they've released a toxin 
but they have a clinic that's heavily guarded, and they'll give you the antidote, but you have to prove that you killed somebody to get the antidote. Huh. And that's the whole premise of the game. And then they turn it into a, a game show, and they broadcast it, and it's like people get kill counts and they get points. Yeah, and... I mean, that was like the plot of The Condemned. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it bleeds into other media, but I think... Not, um, not the antidote part, but like yeah. killing for points and sports. Yes. The, the Condemned was like people were just betting on who would survive mm -hmm. and that was like what was the whole reason they were doing it was because rich people were just again it's like it always the 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 bleed over between a most dangerous game scenario yeah and a death game is like the the, the venn diagram exists it's not a one-to-one -one, no. but it's almost impossible to like talk about one without well, the other i mean squid game when you gets to the, the whole the why and the who's actually doing it yeah is very most dangerous game like when it comes to the motivations of the antagonists mm -hmm. um at least for for things like i think those are your options i think you like between battle royale and squid game like the primary difference of why it's happening is one is like because you have these people who are just so on top that they have no other ways to entertain themselves. Right. And then the other op the other option is like, the world is just so fucked that this is what we're doing now. Yes. <laughs> very like, much, very much so. <laughs> I, I genuinely think other than isolating it to like a very tiny scenario, that's some sick, like serial killer or whatever. There's really no other way to. Yeah. I guess like saw to a certain saw extent. is close. I mean, some of the saw movies are death gamey where it's like you choose. Yeah. Um, but normally if you choose for yourself, <laughs> right there's like the one where he has to decide who like it's like the merry-go-round with the shotgun and he yeah. has to he has to activate a thing to like stop two of them from getting shot or something and the rest just it just happens right yeah but, but there's but i actually i'm just i'm glad that you brought that up because as soon as you said that i'm like i definitely have seen movies or at least heard of movies where the scenario is like they're being placed in a situation where only one can survive or they're being hunted for sport and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, quite frankly, the reason I mentioned that the most dangerous game thing is a little played out is because I worked on a movie last year that the backbone of the story is a most dangerous oh, game shit. scenario, <laughs> which is like, I had a really good time making that movie. Mm -hmm. I do technically have a writing credit on that movie, oh, cool. uh, but it's called Macabre Mountain. It'll probably be out roughly around now. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Support it. <laughs> The second like, short... we, we, we all we all worked really hard on it. Yeah. Uh, like everybody did a good job, but it is a little like working on that movie made me kind of go, hmm, this this is a thing that's like you, you have to really come up with like a fresh spin on it. Yeah, I think. you do. I mean, the, <laughs> I've done it. The second the second video short I ever made was about a bunch of people trapped in a warehouse and they fight to the death over a cheese it <laughs> like, like it's it's something it's literally i think it's more ingrained in the zeitgeist than we realize it is I, my, my new thing has been uh i'm noticing that every male actor and male director is secretly desperate to make a hitman movie uh and, 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 and like you know and i say that knowing full well that you attempted to make a hitman movie yourself <sighs> but because like there's a movie coming out like that David Fincher made. It's called like the Hitman, uh, the Killer, the Killer, with and Michael Fassbender. There's another movie that's coming out that's from a popular director that's called The Hitman, and it's apparently good. But then there was like another movie that came out recently where uh, an actor I can't remember which actor it was, but he's the lead and he cast himself as a Hitman. I'm like everybody just wants to be a Hitman, yeah. and the thing is like I have a drawer full of Hitman stories too. I'm like there must just be something. I mean, I think it's the death of it all, honestly. I think when it comes to movies, like we tend to use extremes as examples of our metaphors. Yeah. And nothing is more extreme than death. 
Like, and, and I mean, I think subconsciously we're all obsessed with it to a certain extent. And so it's like, that's why we have shows like CSI where there's been more serial killers on CSI than there's ever existed in the span of human like <laughs> existence. Yeah. Uh, there's like serial killers are not that prevalent, at least not enough to have made like 500 episodes of a TV yeah. show, but we just love it so much that we yeah. can't get enough of it. I mean, it's the, it's the macabre, like the morbid curiosity, the fascination. I mean, and I think with, with the Hitman stuff, it's like you, you detach yourself, you turn it into a job. And so death becomes a job and it's almost like a chore. And it, yeah. Yeah. And how does like, what kind of person does that? I was thinking and, about the accountant too. I don't know if you saw that yes. one, but it's like Ben Affleck made a movie where he was an autistic assassin. And it's just like, everyone's just wants to, be a hitman <laughs> I don't know, he didn't direct that though did he not direct that? no i think he produced it but yeah. the guy who i forget the name of the guy who directed no you're it, right because but... the guy that directed it's like a good director yeah uh i yeah my bad on that ben affleck is a good director he is, i was gonna say well damn <laughs> shade <laughs> uh well no actually, i actually i like ben affleck as a director I, yeah i don't love him as a writer uh, as a as an actor uh, Depends on the role for me. I, I think, think there are some that I really There like, are man. some. There are certain directors that if you put him in the right thing, mm -hmm. like I like what Kevin Smith is able to get out of him when he's in Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> yeah. I I love him in Gone Girl. Oh, yeah. But it's like you, when you hear about it, it's like Fincher had almost an antagonistic relationship with Affleck and was like making fun of him the whole time. <laughs> and that's kind of why it works. So uh, but it is like Alex himself seems funny. Like if you've ever listened to, I don't remember which which asteroid movie he's in, Armageddon. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Like in Armageddon. the commentary track that he's on for that movie is fucking hilarious. Yeah, funny. I actually uh, have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like Michael. Space doesn't work like that. He's like, don't, don't worry about it, Ben. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like him with him with Matt Damon. He's yeah, really pretty, they're a pretty good comedic duo for sure. Um, uh, but it's like. It was like, I was listening to someone talk about Daredevil recently and I was like, God, he's so bad in that movie. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause there's like the one, there's like three cuts of that movie. And one of them is like kind of acceptable. <laughs> like people generally are like, you know what? That one's all right. Like, yeah. I mean, Grant, it's mostly Michael Clark Duncan Jr. As freaking <laughs> Kingpin was a great idea. Uh, but so yeah, battle Royale, the movie that we're here to talk about and, and not Ben Affleck with, I yes. haven't. If I haven't cut all of that out, which I really might, I've been getting more, uh, I've been getting more judicious with cutting stuff out. That's not relevant to the episode. That's fair. Uh, Cause it's like, well, you tuned in to listen to us talk about battle Royale, not fucking Ben Affleck sucking in daredevil. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it, sometimes it's also funny that we would even get there in the first place. So it's, it's sort of a tough judgment call, yeah. but yeah, it's like so. Shuya and Noriko, they hook, they hook up, but not they don't hook up. Well, hook they don't up. hook up. But... Uh, but they're kind of just running around. I don't remember the full sequence of events with them, but at some point, like the math kid has a gun and is trying to shoot them. Yeah, and and he misses from five feet away several times. Yeah, and then uh, this is where Kawara basically shows up and saves them. And he has a fucking spaz. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a shotgun, uh, and. He takes the kid out, but then he doesn't take Shuya out. He seems to sort of yeah. sense that like they're not really meaning any harm. And well, he asks, he well, asks what was, weapons was, they well, have. Was didn't he run into them first when he killed the guy with the axe, and then he like kind of ran off? I can't remember. Was he there when that happened? I don't think so. Uh, but he knows that they're like, yeah. Actually, that is what it is because like the guy attacks them with his gun, 
And then he goes up to them with his gunpoint, and he's like, "What weapons do you have?" He's like, "A pot lid, binoculars," and that's kind of what he. He literally like laughs and then picks up the nerd's revolver and just like lets them be. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) "These guys are literally no threat." Uh, He warns them that they need to like stay out of the limelight or they're gonna get fucking killed. Yeah, I think this is where. Actually, I think it's like immediately following when the two girls are up on the yeah the there's these two girls who uh, clearly one of them their weapon was a megaphone yeah uh, <laughs> which I'm like why like they they just fucked some of them <laughs> but it is funny because it is like oh they got the megaphone so they decided they're gonna try to they're basically trying to call for a truce they're like yeah. eh, just join us on the hill and we'll talk it out Yeah, like one turned their jacket or something into a white flag yeah and it was i i i, it, I felt bad for them because i was like that's kind of what i would do but you know, Kawara will find out that he's a veteran of the games. He immediately yeah. is like, you need to tell them to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because, uh, like, he's like, there's people that are just going to use this to go kill them. Yeah, he's like, every, he's like now everybody knows where they are. Yeah, like, and sure enough, here comes Terminator, uh, and he just fucking... This is one of the most brutal scenes in the is. movie. I think... <laughs> God, I, I think, yeah, it's one of the two scenes that I was actually like, holy shit. That, I remember being like, if I was writing notes, I would make a big note to make sure I talked about this, because yeah. one of the most horrific things I've maybe ever seen in a film is a man mowing two uh, young girls down, and then one of them is still alive, and he takes her megaphone and puts it to her mouth and turns it on, and like finishes her off like while she's well, screaming through the megaphone. Yeah, he, like everybody can hear her like dying breaths and then he kicks her a few times yeah. and then he shoots her. It's fucking like it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which it's like it's horrible but it was like uh that's something I didn't I kind of touched on earlier in the episode but I just I really do appreciate that this movie's willing to go there. Yeah. Uh, Cuz it should be. Like it should be horrific. It's like it's dark. Uh, but it's like also memorable and yeah. kind of cool, well, and it's, especially for a character whose sole characteristic is he's just a psychopath, psychopath killer. It's also like I don't know. It's sort of I, I almost I mean I re- I really like moral ambiguity and like gray kind of battle lines on who you should root for. But like I like the idea that the existence of this kid kind of does almost solidify. Oh, I guess the youth really has been fucked up. Like yeah. there's guys like this, like, running but it around. is like he volunteered. It's one of those things yeah. where it's like, you could find out that in a death game, like in squid game, wasn't there like a guy who was a serial killer or something like that? I can't remember if that was um, something they played with or not. One of the guys, like he was like a mob enforcer, but then he got in, he, he made some bad deals and pissed off the people right, he worked yeah. for. But it's like if you if there exists a game where the point is to kill everybody, like why wouldn't a serial killer be like, hey, I get to literally kill 40 yeah. people and it's it's it, and it's encouraged. But it has to be it has to be like somebody who's totally <laughs> like a complete maniac because like most serial killers, they still don't want to get caught. They right. still don't want any risk to themselves. Right. So this guy like wants to go into a war zone. <laughs> like, it's it, was, literally... it, well, it reminded me a little bit of like, and it gets touched on a bit with the Kawara guy. You find out like, or no, actually it's the, the computer nerd. His uncle is like a, a fucking war dog, a war vet. Yeah. But there is like, you hear about people that sign up for tours where mm-hmm. it's like, this is my fifth tour. It's like, they want to go to the middle East and like, be in the shit because that's like their life yeah now. it's like all they know now they and they get off on the adrenaline of it almost and even you know the power of like well it, yeah <laughs> and it's a combination of that and like normal life it's like feels fucked up but war is familiar to them 
so it's like all they know so they just go back to it because it feels less alien like they feel like they don't belong once they go back to regular society i think it's basically just a result of ptsd uh-huh. but yeah and the, the, guy, the guy's like yeah i have this bomb fuse uh my uncle was gonna use it to blow up parliament i'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> like they're like okay so your uncle's a domestic terrorist this guy's mom left when he was a kid and his dad committed suicide I'm like okay so everyone's fucked up like it really so those are the hints they give you that like things are bad true that's but... a good point like we find out through a lot of the backstory that things are just not going yeah, well like no one's okay <laughs> <laughs> um but... Yeah, but then like after the yeah the the mountaintop scene with the two girls is like really fucked up, and then but then the guy, uh, Kuara with the shotgun, uh, that's when he like tells the two main characters to like keep your heads down, don't draw attention to yourself. Like it's where you show that he's like kind of trying to help them out. Yeah, and it's funny. It's funny because he splits off from them, but then almost immediately they go to a clinic and he's just fucking there. Yeah, so they just end up hooking up again. Uh, on the side, I'd say probably the two notable sub stories are. Mitsuko uh, is running around. She does her first kill. Like she, this girl's like hiding in a van. And Mitsuko yeah. shows up and is like kind of trying to be friendly to her. And then she takes her zapper away from her and like zaps the girl and then slices her neck with her sickle. Yeah, and, uh, well, and that's where that's kind of where we get the um, the stylization sort of breaking through, almost almost toying with the fourth wall because like. When Mizuko comes in with that girl, she has a very blatantly evil smile. And yeah. the girl's like, oh, okay, you're not going to hurt me, right? Yeah, come on in. And it's like, anyone could tell it's evil, but that's for the audience's sake. That's very well, much part of the stylization. This is one of the only like, kind of interesting filmmaking moments where she's shining the flashlight at the girl, and you can only see the girl. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, who is it? And Mitsuko like puts the flashlight under her chin and does like the classic yeah. like like you're campfire telling s- story. scary stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she's like, "Oh, you're fine. Okay, why don't you come in?" But then Mitsuko kills her. So we're like, "Okay, so Mitsuko is like a cold blooded killer. She's someone to watch out for." Yeah. She, every time she kills somebody, she's also sort of like throwing in that she's like an outcast and nobody yeah. cared about her. And like, there's a lot of like interpersonal drama that's going on. Like the the runner chick. Uh, she's like in love with a guy, but another guy's in love with her, and yeah, they've and like maybe hooked. None up. of it's reciprocated. And then the guy that <laughs> and the guy that she likes, I think, is dating somebody else. Yeah, and, uh, we get like hints of that. I but which is interesting because it's like it's stuff that's you know obviously in high school everything feels more important than it is. You just feel more important than you actually are in high school. But like yeah, yeah, but. It takes the drama of like, oh, I like this boy and he doesn't like me back and stuff. And it takes it from what would normally be just high school melodrama to like, you guys are about to die. So you like, you know, you just want to feel loved like before you bite it. And like, it's one of those things where it takes it to a bigger level. It's almost funny, but it is also like if you were in a life or death scenario, maybe you would be like, I never was able to express these feelings. Yeah. But it is funny how much every character's in love with another character that doesn't love yeah. them. I, I liked how when the one guy, he's like calling out to this girl and she doesn't really realize why, because you know, everyone's trying to kill each other. So she shoots his ass like a bunch and then goes down and he basically like you know, professes his love to her. And she's like, but you've never spoken to me once. <laughs> yeah. How was I supposed to know? You never talked to me. And it's like, well, you know, he got to, he got it out. Yeah. He, he told you at the t- the moment it counted. That bit was funny because, like, as with his dying breath, he's trying to tell her, like, I've got some people at a warehouse. You should go there. And she's like, why? And then as she's, like, crying over him, Mitsuko shows up and just fucking just shoots her. Mercs her instantly. Like, <laughs> there, wastes no time. There is a little bit of comedic timing sometimes with 
the when the names appear because like the girl yeah. like drapes over the guy's body and it's like boy number nine girl number 13 dead and i was like uh that's yeah. pretty funny there mitsuko gets another scenario where she goes in and like there's this girl that has a gun and try and she's gonna shoot mitsuko but mitsuko like gets the gun away from her and manages to kill her they, yeah they have like an argument about like you never cared about me and you always were you're the popular girls and you never blah blah mm-hmm. so yeah mitsuko's got a lot of stuff going on uh our sort of other sub story is we've got these like three nerd boys yeah um and i think eventually like sukawaru or whatever his name is uh shows up to help them a little bit and they seem to know they seem to know shuya because they they ask about him too they're like oh you should we should go find shuya yeah sugimura sugimura basically the main ringleader of that troop he's like a computer hacker and he knows how to make a bomb and so they spend the literally the entirety of the movie like gathering fertilizer and trying to hack the mainframe yeah so they can like deactivate the collars for like a certain amount of time and then try to blow up the main building that all which, the which i guess we'll just we'll just say it now it's not very it's not explained very well in the movie but if you, when i was reading the synopsis it basically says like oh actually kawara hacked the system months ago yeah it says that at the very end yeah and i was just like so he just got them to believe that they did it i couldn't understand yeah. whether I, I didn't understand if like their hacking was also successful i got the sense that kawara hacked the system so that he could he basically the entire time could have shut the necklaces down maybe yeah or something like but i'm not 100 percent sure i didn't because the thing is like all the stuff that's like hacking the system we keep seeing that little basketball guy. So and it's, it's just, on the the nerd dude's computer. I don't know. Yeah, that part was a little weird. Yeah. Also, that plot line goes fucking nowhere. Yeah, it, um, it literally, it, that was what was crazy. I, I was like, I can't believe we sp- we spend the entire movie building up to that only for it to literally go nowhere. It, yeah. It's pretty funny. It's like, I know, it's like, I can't tell if I like that because it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, is, it just it, didn't work. It, but it, like, it is a rug pull moment in a funny way, but yeah. it was like, as someone that wanted the the military guys to be taken out, it yeah. was disappointing that they didn't get blown up. I do I do sort of always appreciate a movie where it does show, hey, sometimes the bad guys don't necessarily lose. Yeah. That's just how it is sometimes. Very you just true. gotta move on. But like it was weird that it's like they had this whole setup and then the psycho transfer guy shows up and just murders them all. And then the guy who actually made the bombs, he has a gun, but instead of trying to take the other dude out. He just like jumps over the van and punches the explosives and kills himself. <laughs> that part was kind of weird. I'm, I'm shaking my head because this was one of the most baffling parts of the movie. I one of the synopsis says I was reading like a summary to see if there's anything obvious that I missed. Mm-hmm. They it said something like and he destroyed the evidence in the warehouse and I was like what why would that matter? Uh, yeah, and the whole the whole warehouse goes up when the truck with the bombs explodes, and that doesn't really make sense because the truck's outside of it, and like it yeah, basically feels like was weird. So like the nerds, the two sub nerds get killed by the Terminator guy. The final nerd basically does like a suicide bomb mission where he yeah. jumps in front of the truck and blows it up. And theoretically, I guess he thought he was so fucked that the only way he could take this guy out was to try to blow him up, try to blow him up. And so, and and the thing is it kind of works. It doesn't make any sense, but for some reason it blinds the Terminator guy. (laughs) Uh, And it does lead to one of the coolest shots in the movie where he fucking Sephiroth's out of the fire and it literally plays like the (laughs) Sephiroth music. Literally as he was like coming out, it was just like Sephiroth. 
Like, it was doing yeah. that, that like, music. Man, the things that are dumb about that sequence, I mean, it looks cool, but the things that are dumb about the sequence are as follows. So, first of all, like, the guy has, the last nerd, the last nerd standing, has a gun, and instead of trying to shoot, who I will now just call Sephiroth, <laughs> or trying to shoot the truck that has all the explosives to blow it up remotely... He runs up to it, awkwardly parkours over the hood of the truck, and then, like, punches the explosives with the butt of his gun, and that makes it blow up? And I'm like, I if mean, concussive force would have worked, why didn't you just shoot it? <laughs> I mean, the unless right, there's a button on the front. I think they had rigged it so that the truck would, when the truck crashed into the building, it would have blown up. Right, but hypothetically, he could have shot it, too. Maybe. But then, yeah, so then the guy gets up, and he's, like, blind now. His eyes are bleeding, and they're all foggy looking. <laughs> but the rest of him's fine. Yeah. And then, um, what's the shotgun dude's name? Kawara. Thank you. Kawara sees him and just kind of watches him walk for, like, two minutes. <laughs> and then they start shooting at each other. I'm like, why didn't you just shoot him when he didn't notice you were there? Because he's fucking blind. Well, <laughs> I, I will say, uh, you know, speaking of, like, accuracy... Uh, no one in this movie is accurate with a no. gun. Everybody misses to the, to the point where the guy being blind barely factors into how accurate. He is. <laughs> yeah, he actually, I think he does hit him. He does actually hit. Yeah, him. he hits Kawara, and Kawara ultimately will succumb to this injury. Yeah. And Kawara <laughs> fires like three times and misses all of them. <laughs> and then that's when he blows him up with it, right? Because he shoots the yeah, he shoots him in the neck. He shoots him in the neck, which blows him up. But the weird part is the. The rate of fire on this shotgun is wildly inconsistent because earlier in the movie it's pump action, but I swear when he blows the necklace off, it's like fully automatic for half a second. He just like fires three rounds within the space of a second. <laughs> I mean, he definitely like because the thing like to get the guy's attention, he cocks the gun. Yeah, but it is funny. Like there's multiple scenes in this movie where Sephiroth like wildly fires, and we just see bullets like rip through the ground, and it looks cool. But yeah. it's just funny. But it is like it's probably honestly kind of more accurate than most movies. Like those guns are probably wildly inaccurate. And right. You know. But it, it's just funny that it's like I don't know. Like there's so many times in this movie, somebody will be like, like Jake's across the table from me, and it's not a long table, and they'll be like that distance and just miss three times in a row. <laughs> and I was like, that shouldn't even be even by you could close your eyes and you technically should hit one yeah, of those. It kind of it kind of like <laughs> almost looks like that sketch from that Leslie Nelson movie. Uh, <laughs> where they're where they're like shooting at each other from behind cover. Yeah, and just... and, and then and then when it like pulls out, they're literally like five feet away from yeah. each other. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're talking like stormtrooper level accuracy. It's, yeah, here. it's wild. <laughs> the, the, the alternative, it's literally I know I've said this before, but the options are they're basically point blank and missing every shot, or they unload a whole clip on a person and the person just stands back up. I mean, they do die afterwards, but they stand back up and are fully functional for like two minutes <laughs> and then they just like tip over. <laughs> There's a couple bulletproof vest reveals in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I will say to backtrack, I think there's like three things I'd like to say that we didn't mention. Mm -hmm. We have Noriko and, and Shuya find the clinic and that's where Kawara is like yeah. hold, hold up. They have like a, a decent stretch where they kind of get to know each other. Kawara has like a funny running bit. Where keeps changing what his dad does. Yeah, every time he's competent at something, he's like, "Well, my dad was this after all." He's like, "My dad was a doctor. My dad was a cook. My dad was, was a, a fisherman." fisherman. Yeah, uh, I thought we were gonna get the reveal like he just didn't have a dad, uh, but or when he this, so he had had a funny moment where he had said his dad was a, a doctor, and he just said his dad was a cook, 
And then he pulls a picture out and I was like, Oh, is he going to have two dads? That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but no, it's like he has, he had a girlfriend named Keiko and they were in the, they were in a death game three years ago and he was the survivor. Pretty baffling flashback. Uh, they try to make it so that it's like they were the last two alive and, and time ran out. So basically time, time was running out to start beeping and they're basically implying that Keiko shot him to yeah. force him to shoot her. But it feels like if that was her end game at that point, you just shoot yourself. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't, that was weird. Like, I, I'm like, if you were trying to like spare your lover, I feel like making them kill you is one of the worst ways to do that. I almost wonder if she was trying to kill him and then like had a change of heart immediately afterwards. I don't know. It's a little confusing. Like, yeah, that that sequence is a little bizarre. And, and then they, they fuck with you a little bit because towards the end of the movie, he's like, that was just a bullshit story I made up. And I was like, was it? Yeah, and he's then like, it, I was playing you guys. But then the big reveal is like, oh, he was playing Katano actually because it was yeah. all... A setup. It is kind of funny because it's like he's like, "No, nah, I was just using you," and I'm like, "Using them for what? They didn't help you with that made, anything." That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> he, he's like, "I've just been using you the whole time." I was like, "These two characters?" He was like, "The, the most useless characters <laughs> as in the movie." Using them as what? Meat shields? Yeah. Like I was like, "What was the plan, dude?" Yeah, I do think the I do think the lighthouse scene is also worth. Yeah, that's because... that's the other one that we we sort of skip. Well, actually, now I'm remembering there, there is another Kawara. So like at one point they get split up because the the clinic gets attacked by Sephiroth. Yeah. And Shuya tries to lure him away by firing at him and running off. Uh, and then he gets saved by Sugawara. Yeah. Uh, and they both like dive into the ocean, and uh, that's where Shuya wakes up at this lighthouse because Sugawara brought him to the lighthouse where these like four girls have sort of formed a pact that they're gonna be yeah. they're gonna watch God, out for each five other. Five of them. Huh? I think there's five of them. Yeah, there's it's like, like a there's whole like, room. There's, there's like five or six of them yeah. just straight up. And he wakes up and there's this girl that's like clearly into him. And she's like, he brought you here and, and I bandaged you up. And she has like a weird line where she's like, it's the first time I've touched a man's body. I did think that <laughs> line served no purpose whatsoever. That was really weird. Uh, Ryan and I were just like, but why? But like, why did she say that? And she's like, I have to lock you in here. Uh, Yoko thinks that you're dangerous. Yuko thinks you're dangerous. Uh, yeah. And so th I only mention that because that ends up jumping off this insane sequence. It's the, cr in my opinion, it's the craziest moment in the entire fucking movie. <laughs> that, that one, I was just, like, the whole time, I was like, my hands are on top of my head. I was just like, oh my God, what the, why? <laughs> like, it's just like, and I often make noises like that when I'm watching movies. That's not an exaggeration. Um, and it's incredibly confusing because we've not met any of these characters, no. really. They're we all, saw one. We glimpsed one for a brief moment. They're all, like, dressed the same for the most part. One has glasses. Yeah, one has glasses. I was, like, I was like, thank God one of them has glasses. Uh, <laughs> like, they have, like, slightly different hairstyles. Like, I think if I had been watching... Uh, like really closely, yeah. I could have started picking up on who was who. I think if they were characters that we had been seeing throughout the for movie, sure. I would have I would have been able to like have the who's who. But no, that scene's nuts because you have the one girl who saw him kill the dude with by putting the axe in his head, and she you saw her earlier, but my dumbass did not pick up on the fact that that was not. <laughs> this is, the, this, the is, this main... is a case where like she says like Yuko saw you do that. And then yeah. you see Yuko, and then Yuko has a flashback. And I was like, 
A lot of yeah. times when movies do this, I think I'm like, yeah, I got it. This was one of the times where I was like, thank you, movie. Yeah, uh, that, that's like it clicked for me. I was like, okay, so, oh, okay. Uh, she thinks that she is dangerous. And they all know she thinks she is dangerous. That's why they're locking the door. And yet they're still like, when she's like, I'll bring him his food. They're like, they think nothing. They're like, like sounds I think because up to that point, they had formed like a true alliance and they've yeah. just been holed up in the lighthouse, keeping each other safe. And they were all super optimistic. There's like, one of them's even like, well, you know, I mean, I'm glad to be here with you guys, but we're all going to die tomorrow. And one was like, hey, don't think like that. Like, they're <laughs> super optimistic and like just trying to keep each other happy and. I mean, good for them, but unfortunately, <laughs> it goes so wrong. It goes like wronger than anything else in this movie where nothing was right to start with. It's crazy. She Yuko poisons the food that she's going to take Shuya, but the girl they just called in from guard duty is ravenous. And so she snatches the bowl. Yuko, I guess out of fear for herself, says nothing, says yeah. nothing and just proceeds to watch this girl eat poisoned food puke blood and die yeah very hateful esque. <laughs> like, it just like gets all over the table <laughs> i mean honestly now that you mention it this is one of tarantino's favorite movies <laughs> there's a very good chance that that's what that's from yeah uh but it's like she, she dies immediately which i'm like there's no poison in the world that would act that fast or make you puke blood it is also and i'm assuming unless it was like full-on acid my assumption <laughs> is that the poison was the weapon that one of them had because it's literally in a capsule labeled poison <laughs> <laughs> like when she pulls it up like to tell the audience it's poison it's it looks like a, like a medicine bottle yeah and it says poison on it so i guess my assumption is it's one of the weapons that they were getting yeah, i mean speaking of hateful eight they all freak out on each other and it turns into yeah. like a mexican standoff for a second yeah because one has a gun and she's like okay well we're the only ones here so one of you poisoned her which means you're trying to kill us because she doesn't think that they were trying to kill shuya yeah so she's now skeptical of all of them and then they all start pointing the finger except for the one who actually did it, who's just silently hiding in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of them reaches for a gun to try to, like, point it at the other girl. She sees that, so she shoots her. And then all, all hell breaks loose, and somebody does grab the gun, and everyone starts shooting at each other. And literally, aside from the girl who poisoned who put the poison in everyone fucking dies yeah. the whole room just kills each other it's just like straight up <laughs> the end of reservoir dogs it, is. <laughs> it actually is and it's so distressing because they all started off like hey guys we're gonna stick together let's yeah. do this and they all it's, fucking it's murder a, each the, other the, the whiplash is pretty intense yeah this was a moment where i was like I could see this movie as an anime, mm -hmm. like there'd be the lighthouse episode yeah. and it would like end with the, with the shootout. Like I, I, I think this, this movie could be made into a show pretty effect yeah. effectively. Easily. And I think there's been attempts. There's also, there's also bunches of anime that are pretty much like this, but slightly longer form where it's yeah. like 24 episodes. I think the structure, like the I think thing. the structure and the set pieces are actually really well done though. Cause they're, they're yeah. memorable set pieces, the clinic and the lighthouse, the lighthouse and, and the shrine that they hang out at. Uh, and so, but yeah, Shuya, ironically, Yuko does let Shuya out. Cause I was like, there was a moment where I was like, is he going to be trapped in this room? Yeah. It was like everybody sucked. died and you're, you're just stuck in yeah, this room. I, I think she's fine. She's guilty that her distrust of Shuya led to everybody she knew dying so much so that she throws herself off the top of the yeah. lighthouse. And he doesn't uh, even see it. She goes upstairs and he tries to follow her and then he looks over the edge and she's just smashed on the rocks. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a reoccurring theme in this movie where if a slightly major character dies, it kind of like repeats a couple of their memorable lines of dialogue. 
and then it'll throw up like a black screen with like their dialogue on yeah, the screen. Yeah, which is a really because when she died, she's like, choice. she's like, do you know how I know that? And it's like, I don't know how I would know you would know that. Like, it's just a weird exchange. But she is very like, he's pretty shook up by this, as as anyone <laughs> yeah, would as be. As anybody would. Be. But there's like another layer where I think he's, you know, what? And I feel bad because I feel like I was dissing him a lot. But I do want to give the movie credit in the sense that I think that the movie is implying that he got that she had feelings for him and he's having an extra layer of guilt on top of just general, like all my classmates are dead guilt of like this girl liked me and was trying to tell me something and I was being obtuse uh, about it, but he's, he's pretty shook up and he's, and he's fucked up from like getting thrown off a, jumping off a cliff and getting shot at, but he, he hobbles his happy ass out of there. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, Noriko's still with Kawara and they're at the shrine. There's like a, I have a fun little exchange they do, but one of the most baffling things is she has like a dream slash memory of hanging out with Katana. That part really <laughs> confused me <laughs> because I, is it, because it, it calls it a, like a bunch of people have dreams and by a bunch of people, I mean like three people, but there's like a few dream sequences and they usually show you them throughout the movie. And at the very end, it shows them all in a row. Yeah. But one of them, when it's hers, it says hers and katano's dream and i'm like did they have the same dream or was it a memory or and it's like him seeming like maybe he's kind of inappropriate with her there's a, there's a moment towards the end of the movie that's like wait a second yeah. what's going on here and uh, they're like you know if people see us like this they're gonna bully you and then it kind of implies that part of the reason she was bullied is because they were like oh you're sleeping with the teacher i was like, like there was I, I like as a first time viewer i was up to the last breath of the movie I was waiting for the big reveal that she was in on it the whole time, oh, yeah. especially when he reveals the painting and he's like, this was my dream. And yeah. like, I thought for sure, because they kind of make her such a nothing character. I thought for sure she was going to turn the gun on Shuya at yeah. the end and be like, well, me and Katano are in on it together. It did show him painting the thing as the kids died. Okay. So like, it was, it was very brief. There's like a very, like there's like a two or three second shot where it pans or it, it like, it starts on like him painting something and it tilts up to him. Um, I, I think it's like it's easily forgettable. Really all it's that is happening is she's like one of the more empathetic characters in the movie. And by that, I mean, she's the one that's like capable of empathy. She yeah. seems to, she's been bullied. I think she and, and Shuya, cause yeah. neither of them want to hurt anybody. She, she has an interesting line where she's like, I had a dream about him and he's like, was well, he being a fucking crazy psycho? And she's like, I don't know. He just seems lonely it's like she yeah. can kind of see through people they don't do much with it yeah. it's like effectively physically in the movie she does literally nothing <laughs> yeah like like she doesn't shoot anybody she doesn't save anybody she yeah. she doesn't do anything she's actually she's spared <laughs> from it too because at the very end because so first of all there's a weird scene katano clearly has preference for her and well he there's, wants a, her there's a crazy moment where uh I believe Mitsuko, because Noriko is like, Shuya's got to be coming. So she runs out to try to find yeah. him. She runs into Mits- Mitsuko. Yeah. And I was like, oh, who's got her dead to rights? Dead to rights. But Mitsuko gets scared off because Katano shows up. That, I found that interesting because, like, you would think that the since he was the, the figurehead of this, that if they had a chance to kill him, they would go for it. But she's yeah. scared when he shows up. It's weird. It feels I like, wonder if it's feels like she's unhinged enough that you would have taken a shot at him, but right. he was like so unconcerned 
about everything that was happening yeah. and maybe he's just that unsettling. He literally just brings them an umbrella. <laughs> yeah. Which is so weird. He like leaves the safety of his little fortress that all the military guys are in, hands her an umbrella, and then just leaves. By the end of the movie, you get the sense that he literally just wants to die. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it is like, I feel like there's a weird moment where he hears Shuya say something like, I want to be, I've never trusted adults, but I've been thinking about how I'm going to become an adult. And you see like him, it, you see it sort of resonate with him a little yeah. bit. And it was almost like at the end. So like we get to the end, basically like, like Kawara's taken out the, the Sephiroth. They're the only three left. Kawara pretends to turn on them mm -hmm. and as soon as they seem to be dead they're like we should go confirm he's like nah don't he's do like it. we're good it's over he's like leave leave me you all you leave i'm just gonna hang out alone and he's not surprised no at all about any, I, anything that i happens. think he's also a good read on people and i think he knew that they were not that it was he was saying it so that they could hear it through the mics because i think once he heard him say this is why i've never been able to trust adults and he's like oh I, he has the same reason for distrusting adults as I have for distrusting kids. Yeah. And I think he knew that all three weren't going to die, but he didn't. And he wanted that to be the case. So he just told him to pack up and leave. Because mm -hmm. then when all the government and military people leave, he stays behind alone. He's like yeah. fucking doing jumping jacks. He's doing yard. like calisthenics like that are playing on the radio. <laughs> Which, that's very 1984. He's so unhinged. The calisthenics. <laughs> uh, but Kawara shows up and they're sort of like having a back and forth but then Shuya and Noriko show up and they're like we're getting out of here and we because he has a moment where Kitano turns on the necklace. He's like yeah, that's what I thought. You hacked into the system. And it doesn't system. work. Yeah, you it doesn't into do the anything. System, so, and Kawara's like, well, you got me. And Katana doesn't really seem to care. Yeah. He reveals his creepy dead kids painting. He basically tells, he's like, Noriko, you're the best. I, he's like, it's like, I was hoping you would win. And he seems to like, kind of like, I don't know what's going on there. I think he's got like a thing for her. I just don't know if there's a history of her reciprocating it or something. I don't know where that was. Um, yeah, well, that was weird. There's like a reoccurring theme in the movie that his his daughter like keeps calling him, but then and she's shitty. <laughs> she like hates him, and like we get a pretty funny. It's it's weird because like I was excited for Noriko to shoot him because I was like, hey, she's gonna do something. Because mm -hmm. like Shuya got some moments of like saving people, so it's like the only one that hasn't gotten a moment yet is her, pretty much. But then Shuya takes it basically. And well, yeah, because Katano points a gun at her. And he's like, you better shoot me. He's like, if you don't, I'm going to shoot you. And then Shuya, I think to spare her, it's kind of like she's the only one who has any innocence left. And so yeah. I feel like that's kind of why he does it for her. It's like a, he doesn't do it to protect her because he's like, oh, she's going to get shot if I don't do this. I think he does it to protect her as in I don't want her to ever have to actually. Yeah. Go and I assume it. that's sort of the symbology of her, like retrieving the knife at the end and giving yeah. it to him because he will he will be the protector and he'll shield her from this cool yeah. world or whatever. Yeah, and that's that's but another it, thing. It just feels very that's like the most 90s thing of the movie. Of oh, like yeah. the boy character has to protect the girl yeah. character. And that's why I like Mitsuko and stuff. It's like I Dude, just, it, uh, half the time it shows Mitsuko, it just cuts to her having killed somebody and then just cuts away. <laughs> like it does that like three times. Oh, I can't she remember. She gets a high body count. We 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 uh we hinted it, but she does like after she kills the the accidental couple uh 
uh, Sephiroth shows up. They have a very brief battle where I was like, she, please kill him. But then he just, he fucking mercs her and she yeah. dies. It's, <laughs> it's, un, it's unintentionally funny because he shoots her in the chest like three times and she stands up and then he shoots her again and she stands up again. And that happens like three times and finally she stops getting back up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I was sad. Well, basically I was like, oh, they'll take each other out. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but no, he just straight up kills he just her. Got her. Like, God damn it. Uh, but yeah, the, they needed him to go get blown up and be blinded that by, was by an explosion. But well, and then like, so the, um, the other part, in the uh in the in the vision slash memory slash dream is that and it does happen at the very beginning too when what's his face dickhead stabs the teacher in the ass um and he runs down the hallway oh that's right uh speaking of stabbing people in unfortunate places go go fucking stabs oh god i forgot about that (laughs) when 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 the kid points the crossbow oh yeah he shoots her and like cuts her face and, and this is the one who kind of implied he might try raping her if she doesn't give it. Yeah, in. and she chases him with a knife, slices him, he falls, and she stabs him in the dick. Like, like four to six times. I was like, oh, oh. no. And then, and then she stabs him once in the stomach, once in the chest, <laughs> and then just watches him die. It, but the, oh, but then that like, was brutal. I don't, like, but then Mitsuko just shows up right after that, and I, I think it's implied that she got her. Yeah, when she, I, she hits her at least once, and then she just, like, kind of bleeds I feel out like later. we never saw her again in the rest of the movie. No, she does die, because that guy meets with her on the bridge, and then she's like, were you ever in love with anyone? And he's like, yeah. She's like, <gasps> was right. it me? And he was like, no. And she's like, well, can you just, like, hold me until I die, I please? forgot about that scene. That scene is brutal. If someone's dying in your you arms... You just tell them yes. You just say yes, <laughs> I loved you. You just tell them yes. You don't go like, yeah, sorry, I'm into someone what, else. What a fucking psycho. <laughs> uh, like, uh, yeah, I thought about that too. It's one of the cruelest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, he gives her like a... I was like, I, my jaw dropped open when that happened. I was like, she is dying in your arms, bro. Just say yes. I started yes. laughing. I was like, I cannot believe you told her no. <laughs> like, they try to save it by her being like, you're so cool. He's like, you're the coolest girl I know. Because they yeah. are friends. Yeah. Uh, but I was just like, bro. Just tell her yes at bro. that point. Like, I'm like, she's moments from death. Let her, just no. tell her that you loved her the whole if time. there's one thing I am, it's honest. Like, for God's <laughs> sake, I know, honest to a fault. But... But yeah, um, and then then he just goes off to be shot by the girl he loves. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. Dude. <laughs> I forgot about that scene. That's so fucking funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is one of the better shots of the movie, though. Like, there's this really gorgeous sunset wide mm-hmm. shot, and then like when he's holding her, I like the camera work. Yeah, there. no, that that was cool, and the color, like the light, the coloring, and everything. It was, that was pretty. I liked. That. Yeah, but well, then so the thing I was I was mentioning earlier when when he stabs the teacher, he hands the knife off. He dropped it. Oh, he drops it. He drops, he, it. he drops it. And for some reason, Noriko scoops it. She picks it up and hides it. And I didn't really, because the thing is like, I would have just full on forgotten that that was even a thing, but the movie basically it ends it up later. with like, she kept the knife and the last thing that happens in the whole movie is that she retrieves it and gives it to, I guess they're trying to have it be symbolic. Right. Where, where it's like, it's like you were, you're, I think you were nosing around like what they're going for, where it's like shuya is shielding her from this like the badness of life from being corrupted by life and so the knife is like she picks up this weapon that was used to do bad and it's like will she become corrupted too right and i think at the end of the movie her handing it off is like the we were successful in like keeping her from having to dirty her hands it's also it's weird too though because in that dream slash memory slash whatever the fuck it is 
with her uh, and the teacher, she like shows him that she has that knife. She's like, this is the same knife you were stabbed with. And I took it and I kind of like it. And he's like, oh, you. And I'm like, well, doesn't he say what? something like, I get what I, he's, he's basically like, oh, he says, I don't know what to say to that. He's like, what am I supposed to say to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does say that. And I was just like, again, I, I, I think they're, they're, they're reaching for this metaphor of it being like, she's like, isn't it cool? This knife's pretty neat. And he's just like, ah, so you're going to be corrupted too. How sad. Well, or he's like, like, you think that he's like, I don't know why you think I would think it's cool. I got fucking stabbed with that. Thing. Like, yeah. I, don't know. Like, I think he just sees yeah. the youth as just inevitably bad. Yeah. Like, and that's, it's it I, for me it's like it seems like at first blush that this is almost a revenge play from yeah. him but i think it's more just that was the straw that broke the camel's back and he gave up on and this like, one made him decide he, he, to... he gave up on like kids as a whole yeah and was like just wrote them off for good and was like ah fuck it i'm just gonna become in charge of the government that makes them kill each other i suppose because yeah. might as well because they're all useless and worthless like yeah. so and like and she's like the one thing that sort of like represents the chance of like humanity not going bad yeah. essentially which again is i think what the knife stuff's hinting towards it's what mm -hmm. she is trying to do is shield her i think it's sort of what his weird painting is hinting towards like yeah because she's that like was the, that was well, the one she's got like a halo like a not not like a halo like at the ring above but like the light coming behind her head almost yeah. like a virgin mary painting and it is um, like it was the one thing that makes me feel like there was some like weird undertones to him like saying like oh like you're the one but i actually for some reason never fully got like pedo vibes from it i think it's just she's like the one like actual innocent person he's right. like, and she's like the one that got left out of the the plans to be delinquent she's the only there's a cute it's kind of a cute moment where she shows up and nobody's there yeah and he kind of clocks that she was not in on it in on it and yeah. then he, he looks at the board because on the board it says like we said fuck school today and he like starts when she sees it he starts kind of erasing it almost as if to save her yeah. from realizing that she's been left out and so there's like a lot of it, it, I'm this well, one's, it is, it, it, yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily because i guess you can take it however you want but it's also there's the case of like his own daughter hates him and so he doesn't even have that like yeah, even I, I think even Noriko, his own child he doesn't consider sacred like yeah i think noriko so. is definitely like a pseudo daughter to yeah. figure to him and i have a feeling that some of these themes are probably better explored in the book uh where probably. you have time to flesh some of this out and even in a book you can like you can get a character's thoughts yeah you could have like it could be a, there could be a paragraph that's like katano looked at her like she was a daughter to him and yeah you could, and like, it, like it could just explicitly say more, that yeah. whereas in a movie it's it's harder to get that across yeah. but i mean maybe it, leaving it ambiguous could have been a choice yeah for sure uh, so and then and then at the very end because he te he tells her to shoot him right and because if not he's gonna shoot her um and then but, so, but he's almost like testing her because i he, think he is he, well because i don't i think he wanted her to do it i almost think because he by the end like jake was saying he clearly he wants to go like he didn't leave with everybody else he also wants to be proven that his pessimistic views of them is right it's accurate yeah. and because he's like if, if the one pure person shoots him and dirties her hands mm -hmm. like he was right he's validated but he also but he and didn't he account for two other guys just having guns standing right there yeah. so it's like i don't know it's it's kind of null and void. I think if, if, if that is the point if that's what they were going for in a writing level i guess you can kind of bypass the the practical logic because it's like well that's how they told yeah they were. it's kind of like i heard somebody the other day some random youtuber 
was like riffing on training day, which I'm like ballsy. Um, but he was talking about how the coincidence at the end was like hard to believe that like, oh, he just happened to see the thing and it happened to be the dude's niece and stuff. And I'm like, okay, but yes, it's a pretty big coincidence in a practical level in, in real life. Yes. But, but think of how that proves the entire, that drives home the entire point of that character yeah. drives home the entire point of the movie. It's literally, like, it's literally the point of the movie. Yeah. I'm like, that's, li- it had to be like that. <laughs> I, I could not think of any other way to tie all of that together in that one moment as effectively as doing it that way. Yeah. And if, so I'm like, if, if people haven't seen training day, Ethan Hawke, while they're running around, he sees a girl being assaulted and saves her. And because he did that later in the movie, these guys who've been hired to kill him, one of them is that girl's uncle. And she's like, he's like, Oh, you saved my niece. Like, and they decide to let him go. Yeah. And he also gets chastised by Denzel for even wasting Denzel's time on these guys, which does lead to a, a quote that I say uh, a lot in real life where uh, he's like, so I'm just supposed to supposed to just let that go. It's like, yeah, fuck them. And anyone who looks like them, uh, <laughs> and like, it's like, I say that a lot. I'm just like, yeah. fuck them. And, yeah, and, and like the whole point is it's like, it validates the good deed he did earlier. Like showing that, that Alonzo Denzel's character is not correct in yes, his worldview. So much. it absolutely had to be that way. And so if that's kind of the train of thought you're going by, then this weird logic loop where he didn't account for two other armed individuals yeah. kind of works out a little better. Yeah, he, but... he just wanted to see if he could, he could finally corrupt her at the end. And yeah. it is like, is one of the things that I do really enjoy about doing this show is, these are the kind of things that I don't know if I, would, if I would realize without having a platform where you are discussing it more in depth. Like, yeah. as we talk about the movie, there are things that are clicking together thematically and like narratively about the film that I'm like, that actually is really well done. Yeah, because once and, you're saying it out loud, you're thinking about it more. Like, like you're putting your thoughts out there, and it kind of it's easier to organize them. Uh, I think. And and while we're in this scene, we. We do, because this is the prime example that you've said a few times, Shuya lights Katano up, he goes down. <laughs> yeah. And he's and, on the ground for like a couple minutes, a like you while. assume he's he's dead. They're talk- They're basically making plans on like, what do we do after this? His phone rings and he just fucking pops up. <laughs> he just casually stands up like, like nothing happened. <laughs> I genuinely was like, was this whole thing... Like, was this whole thing staged? Like, nobody actually died? Is that, is that what, like, because he got, he got, like, a whole, a whole magazine pumped into him. He literally was down for, like, a few minutes, and just, his phone rings, he just stands up and walks over to the couch and answers his phone. It, it's a little confusing, because there is, like, a couple times in the movie where people see things that aren't really there, and, yeah. and also in a movie where you're not sure where it's going, ultimately what it really is is he's so tied to answering his daughter's calls that even though he should be fucking dead yeah. it still makes him pop up and then he basically tells his daughter to go fuck herself like yeah. throws his phone shoots then, his phone uh, i think eats one last biscuit and dies yeah he something. eats the like he pulls out the cookie <laughs> goes oh the last one and he eats it and then he unironically comedically falls over it on the couch <laughs> and i was just like are you fucking kidding me he had like three minutes of life in him at that point like how did that make any yeah but oh. it's pretty funny it is it was i don't think it's supposed to be funny but it's very funny i think it's supposed to be funny you think so yeah yeah i mean there's comedy in that movie so like especially I, from I that s- character i could see it uh they, it's also worthy of worthy to mention that like once shuya blows him away to stop him from shooting her i keep forgetting her name i don't 
Noriko. Oh, thank you. Um, from shooting Noriko, like you, he falls over and pulls the trigger anyway, and you see it's a water pistol. Yeah, he just like squirts him with water, and like he was never actually going to shoot her, which I think, yeah, kind of goes back towards what we were saying about his feelings. It's funny because he like, he squirts him with the water, and shoot, he starts shooting him some more. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's like he's not registering that it's a water gun. It's just I mean, panic. It's a panic pull. Oh, for trigger. sure. Again, these are children. <laughs> yeah, uh, like. It, but in, and if I if I'm correct, I also think this is Shuya's first purposeful kill in yeah. the movie. Because the <laughs> only other person he kills is with the axe, and he didn't even realize he did it. I don't. Think it might have just been an else. accident that happened while they were tumbling down accident. the hill. Accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun, fun, not intended, but I wish it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's something I noticed throughout the movies that a lot of the characters make really dumb decisions. But it's like you know what. It's one of the few movies where it doesn't really piss me off because they're high schoolers. Yeah. And high schoolers genuinely make dumb decisions every day. So, yeah, like, I mean, it's like, honestly, the only thing that surprised me was that this movie wasn't like hornier. Yeah. Than it was. Like, I, even if, like, that's true. I'm thankful that there was no actual assault that happened, but I thought for sure, like, there'd be a couple, like, hooking up scenes. But yeah, it's funny that in a, in a movie where kids are being like, violently murdered it's also really chased in a weird way I know. It's, like, it's like it's sort of pure and innocent like which i think i actually i think is very intentional because it's like you know it shows these kids like it's high school crushes and they're acting like it's the love of their life which yeah. you know yes high schoolers do act like that but it's also kind of like it shows you that innocence and it's showing you that they have forcibly had that that they did have that innocence in them and it's being forcibly stripped away by oh, people who believe so. that they never had it it's like because the, like if their whole thing is like well, the one person that survives will be forged in fire and become a good citizen of Japan. Yeah. It's like, but also you have this Sephiroth guy who is easily the favorite to win. And is that who you want in your right. society? Well, and it's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you'll be chock full of PTSD. Is that what it means to be a good citizen now? Like, Yeah. And, and then again, it's like, I'm not blaming the movie for having that logic because it's intentional. It mm -hmm. is like, this is the logic of a fucked up government that's wrong. Yeah, you uh, kind of allow yourself to believe that something that could probably never ever happen does because they set that precedent from the first minute of the movie. Well, here's a spicy take. <laughs> like uh, when you want, when we if you want to talk about governments uh, turning a blind eye to children dying, I think our government <laughs> here in the states yeah. uh, is a pretty prime fucking example of that. Like I'm not gonna say. Like, I am getting political right now, so if you guys are gun nuts, I guess, go away. Uh, <laughs> I guess go away. But it's like, we routinely, like, there are many things we could do to, like, for me, it's like, if there is something that we could do to even save one life, it's worth doing. Yeah. But people are like, the, the NRA has such a death grip on so many politicians well, <laughs> that we can't even, like, put... We can't even make it slightly hard to get guns. Well, on, we, on any side of the political spectrum, really, it happens on both, but it's contextual. If people choose to value certain things over human life, and they're like, it it's always turns into, on either side, and there's arguments on both sides that turn into this, where it's like, but my rights... It's my rights. It's like, okay, right, but like, your are, rights are, are killing other there people. There are like, good people on both sides. Uh, <laughs> beautiful people. <laughs> 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 they're coming in they're coming in and they can just buy guns you know that's their right uh but, yeah, i don't really have a trump uh but it's just yeah, and we talked about the, the cte yeah. of football and it's like we routinely 
like that's where I like what I like about dystopian science mm-hmm. fiction is like you see these are extreme examples where we're yeah. literally forcing the kids to fight to death. Right. But in a country where mass shootings are just like happening every week, feels a little like well, well <laughs> the way to drive the point home though is because I in most dystopian uh fiction, it's usually a version of reality I could never like as much as people are like, oh, we're getting there now. I'm like, most of them I could never actually see a real world going exactly there. But the thing is, when you want to drive a point home, you emphasize a specific part of it and blow it up. Yes. Like and you make it big. Because even if you don't believe that the world will ever become name your dystopia, like there are elements of it that are worth pointing out. I just find and- I guess for me, my 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 overall point to bringing this up is I could see someone clutching their pearls at this movie mm-hmm. also voting to make sure that you can buy a gun the same day you decide you want one. Oh yeah. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I can't believe you've watched that movie where the kids are shooting each other. And I'm like, right. I can't believe you voted to have a real world where kids are shooting each other. You <laughs> dumbo. Like I just like, yeah, I, that's what I think science fiction does so effectively mm-hmm. is like it, like you, you already, I don't have to reiterate. You explained it perfectly. You take an idea, you blow it up to its extreme. And, uh, it, it's just, it's interesting to me. Like it feels people say this about movies all the time, but it's one of those things where like when a movie's me- metaphor, it, it reminds me of the futility of humanity because time and time again, you hear about movies where it's more relevant than ever. Like yeah. you've, you've heard that phrase oh, before, yeah. right? And it's because we never fucking learn. I know. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's, feels it's, more, it feels more relevant than ever. It's like, yeah, this has been a problem for a hundred years. One of the most, <laughs> one of the most interesting things I find, like, you know, people try to not, a lot of people lump sci-fi and fantasy in together yes. because in, in, in a very technical way, they're the same genre. But I think one of the big differences, and it's not 100% all like this, but sci-fi is usually just a made up version of the world we actually live in. And I, I absolutely adore fantasy, but usually fantasy is like a completely made up world. Mm-hmm. And you know, the things you get out of fantasy, I think are different than the things you get out of sci-fi. Most of the time. Yeah. And sci-fi drives messages by placing them in the world we live in today, but something's different. Maybe it's just further along in our future. Maybe it's like we change this one detail. Maybe it's like introduce this, but it's usually in one way or another, it's like, it comes from the familiar and it's like, what if we change something to make it unfamiliar, but you can now relate it to where you are now. And yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting how that's how they kind of drive messages home in sci-fi a lot. Of yeah. The time. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but it's like the guy that wrote all those stories that like minority report was based on. And, uh, um, is that I, it's like did Philip K. Dick. Do Dick. Yeah. Okay. Dick. Yeah. It yeah. is Philip K. Like, Dick. Philip K. Dick's like, this like genius writer. And if you go back and look at his stuff, he's just, just had his finger on the pulse of society and just had these beautiful ways of like turning them into like sci-fi metaphors. He's, he's the blade runner guy yeah. too, right? Yeah. You're a blade runner. And it's like, sometimes people like, i I love blade runner 2049. It's one of my favorite movies in recent years. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredible. And whenever, uh, people bag on it, a lot of their criticism are, it's like, I, I get so tired of hearing criticism about movies where it's like you just did a training day where someone's like it doesn't make any sense that he would l- get luck out and it's like that's the point and yeah. it's like i've heard stuff about blade runner 24 and 9 it's like well that movie objectifies women and it's like it's like this world just like they're wearing clear clothes i'm like 
yeah, that's the point. That's like what they're trying <laughs> to say. Like we live in this really, they, the world they're living in is this like hypersexualized, like you can buy a girlfriend type world yeah. and like, like beauty and, and like female companionships been like commodified. And, and it's like, that's one of the messages of the movie. Yeah. I, th uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's valid to complain about like, like coincidences and goofy things that, that kind of don't make sense if they, one, if they stack up and the whole movie kind of relies on them too much. Yeah. But like, you know, I feel like if you have something here or there where it's like, it's a driving force, it's a big part of what makes the movie work, even if it doesn't feel like it would work if this was real, that I feel like that's not a valid, you can't deconstruct the entire movie based on that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway back to battle royale we're, we're at the end they yeah, we get a ship it. somehow they sail it kawara unfortunately dies cigarette in hand but he's yeah. he's it's kind of like a bittersweet thing where he is like feels like he resolved the issue that he was after resolving like he finally figured out what keiko's smile meant because he was able to make friends yeah. with Noriko yeah that's a recurring Shia. that's a recurring thing through the whole movie he has this memory of when he shot his girlfriend she had this smile and he was trying to figure out what her smile meant yeah i, I kind of kind of a surprising ending imo of they escape and now they're just like wanted they're criminals. just fugitives because they i think because they killed the teacher yeah i don't even think it's because they broke the rules of the game i think it's because they killed right Kitano. it's kind of funny and then but then you just see them sort of like I said, she retrieves the knife and gives it to Shuya yeah. and we just sort of see them walk off. And then it's like, you get a slight narration from him where it's like, I would tell them run or whatever. We yeah. always keep moving forward. And it's like, I don't know. None and then the kanji for run in all red, just like smashes itself onto the screen <laughs> and the movie ends. Yeah. Get, like depending on your versions of the movies, there's like some weird after credit replays, but I'm not going to touch on those. That's the end of the yeah. movie. Like we, we hit a lot of the points, but is there anything? Anything huge that we didn't touch on that you were really hoping to talk about before we wrap up here? Not really. Um, um, I thought it was. I thought it was funny. Like you know, there's probably some weird translation things you notice because, like, when they're sailing away from the island, she looks at it and she goes, "What's she saying?" I think is pertinent, but then the the wording is probably a translation thing, but it makes it kind of un unintentionally funny. Where she's like. Man, it really is beautiful, even though everybody died on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, feel, that feels very translation problem yeah. where it's like we're not getting if the way she phrased it. But you get you get the idea where it's like, yeah, it's almost kind of funny that the island's so pretty when so much horrible things happened yeah. on it. But because of the way they worded it, it's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I don't think that was supposed to be a comedic. But but uh, yeah, final thoughts and rating. Ooh, um. So I usually I always give two numbers. I always give how much it entertained me and how like on a critical level, quote good, I thought it was. Okay. So and usually one's higher than the other. I would say entertainment wise, this is a solid eight point five for me out of ten because I I love shit like this. Like any time where it's like people pitted against each other like that, and you know the stakes are high and morals are in question. Like I love shit like that. So mm -hmm. that's great. Um, I honestly uh, think my, my critical rating wouldn't be much lower. I'm oscillating between a 7.5 and an 8 because everything it started, which I do think at least in film, it pretty much did start this whole death game subgenre and the, it did it. It kind of hit all those marks in ways that some of its predecessors didn't necessarily hit as effectively. And I think it set a really interesting precedent. I think 
it was made clearly on like a pretty small budget, but they did a lot with it. Yeah. Um, I haven't read the book, so I don't know adaptation wise just how strong that is. But like, I think it does pretty much everything it needs to in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. And for having 40 characters that are getting killed off throughout the movie, I thought the pacing was actually pretty impressive. Pretty good. I so. There was a moment where I was like, are they going to name every single student yeah. and have them leave? But thankfully, once Shuya finally leaves, kind they... They cut outside and sort of time like, skip because I was just like, holy shit, like because it goes on for a minute. But yeah. I was also like, it is nice to put names, the faces and and they do. They put them to every single one because every kid that dies gets announced. Yeah, I, this, so. that's a, that's like a classic. Just like you're using the medium to sort of like put names to faces as they die. Like yeah. Every time a character dies, it flashes their name and is like they died. And it's like. I appreciate that, actually. Which, yeah, because it kind of does one of those things where it points a finger at you for, always, you know, you, you watch so much entertainment where uh, people getting killed are just kind of a number. It's just like, oh, that's just some mook. But it's like, well, they had, hypothetically, in the context of the world they're in, they had a name, they had a family, they had a background. Like, yeah. so it kind of puts that into a bit of perspective. There's like a throwaway you. line that Quintana says where all your parents have been informed. Yes, they've all I been notified. It's like, bro, that, <laughs> that phone call must suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought my kid, oh, is, is my kid doing okay on the field trip? Well, funny thing about the field trip, <laughs> your kid's in a death game They now. took a new trip <laughs> to a new place. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, what's, your, what's yours, uh, your your rating? Um, Walking into the studio, if people have never listened to this episode before, which I usually joke like, well, why is this your first episode? This could be a first episode. People are interested enough. Battle Royale is like a real cult classic. Yeah. And so you might be might be t- like tuning in to just hear someone talk about it. Uh, if you've not tuned in before, I have a grading curve on this show. It, if like, for the example, my very first episode I ever did, I gave The Godfather, Godfather. Uh, an 8.5 out of 10. And The Godfather, <laughs> and the Godfather I think in, in real life for me is a 10 out of 10 movie. It is a movie that has gotten better the more I've watched it. Mm-hmm. That's another rub with this show. Is a lot of times it's the first time I'm watching a movie. Like Mulholland Drive is now one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. I think I gave it an eight on the show, and now it's like the only criterion I own. And like I, I probably would give it a nine point five or a ten, honestly, on this show. Yeah. So taking that into account, just keep that in mind that I have a grading curve. I will say, I think this episode's going to come out because I'm trying to put out the spooky episodes first. I think it's going to come out before this episode, uh, but I've never given a movie a 10 on this show before, <laughs> ever. I finally did. Really? I, I covered a movie, but the problem is it's a movie that's one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, and I was doing a reverse episode, but when we, it came time to rating, I was like, I, was like, I can't, I was like, I can't give it a 10, and then I finally, I was talking it out, and I was like, what gets a 10 if this isn't, if, it, if, not, if it's not this? And yeah. I'm talking about the movie that I gave a 10. Unfortunately, this will not be receiving a 10. I, I would uh, be kind of surprised yeah, if this was the one. <laughs> uh, like, people, it, you'll, you'll probably be able to guess what movie I gave a 10 when, uh, like, even when the episode finally dropped, it'll be like, oh, he covered that. <laughs> that that's going to be the 10. Uh, but my biggest knocks for the movie is I'm not terribly impressed with the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not terribly impressed with the acting, but it's decent. Uh, it's okay, like everyone, yeah. everyone's fine. Katano, it's clear he is the seasoned actor of the <laughs> yeah. bunch, but the rest of them are kids. I don't really blame them. Um, it's like it, believable enough for what it is. They trained really hard for it. Some of the kids have gone on to do stuff. I was laughing because I watched watching as soon as I saw Shuya, I was like, he looks like Light from Death Note. <laughs> Death Note and yeah. then I I pulled up his resume and he fucking played Light in Death Note in the live action adaptation. I was like, 
very funny. Yeah. But uh, so it, it's getting knocked a little bit. I walked in here ready to give it a seven. I'm going to bump that up to an eight because as we've talked about it, I really think that there's a lot going on under the surface yeah. with this movie. And I think it's actually really brilliantly done. The characters are compelling and fun to watch. Uh, even though, and even talking out, because like Shuya and Noriko were the slight duds for me. And even as we've talked through the roles that they played in the story, I've come to realize like, I still think they could have juiced them up a little bit. I would have liked them to just have like a thing they were into. Like if Noriko was like right. into photography. Yeah, because everyone's into basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the it's entire like, it's like, just give cast them, just give them a little thing. She really likes taking pictures or she really likes drawing or he he likes he's a painter or just just something just like anything yeah just like he plays guitar a little there's bit there's a flashback where you see him playing guitar like, he's like, i like basketball and they play guitar. Like, <laughs> sure though like if they had found like an, a guitar in one of the abandoned houses and he like strummed it a little kind bit of that bioshock infinite moment yeah right? and, and she was like <laughs> yeah. or like the last of us two yeah uh and like she was just they her and kawara just like listened to him noodle on the that would have been huge yeah uh yeah, and so really but i am going to still give it an eight because i think it's a really fucking strong movie mm-hmm. i think it's really telling that this movie was sort of the nexus point for the thing that dominates video games currently the battle yeah. royale yeah it's literally called the battle same royale. title yeah the the thing that has spawn squid game essentially yeah like without battle royale i don't think you get squid game no. you wouldn't have hunger games as much as i r- despise hunger games like it, it is a huge part of pop culture and this is pretty directly responsible i think it's very that. telling that a lot of times i prefer the iterations that evolve it i think this is just as good if not better than some of the things that have evolved yeah from it. like squid game i think is an incredible show though i, I will go to bat for squid game Oh yeah, but I agree. I think. But yeah, I th- I'm gonna land it an eight out of ten. Justin kind of, Justin kind of like got on my case for being a point fiver, and I'm st- <laughs> I'm starting to kind of lean away from giving point fives to things. I'm Just g- do it out of a hundred. <laughs> Show him who's boss. Because it's like the thing is like I've heard it argued before where it's like, well, if you're gonna give things point fives, why don't you just do out of twenty? Yeah, but and, and I'm like, weird. I'm like, people understand a, like a ten scale. That's why you do a ten scale. You're just being a devil's advocate for no reason, but. I kind of like being forced to pick a lane because sure. I didn't, I was like, this movie's better than a seven, but I was like, is it a full eight? I was going to give it a 7.5, but I was like, fuck it. It gets an eight round. Uh, just round. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's a really good movie. If you guys have never seen it, please do check it out. I'm sorry. We spoiled the absolute fucking shit out of it. Yep. Uh, Still worth it though. Give yeah. It a shot. Uh, and you know, speaking of like squid game and all that stuff, like, uh, the second to last thing we do on the show is recommendations. Is there anything you'd yes. like to recommend? Yes. Okay. So I have a backup plan in case. Do you recall if I've re- recommended Free Fire already? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm confident I recommended Free Fire already. Therefore, my backup plan uh, is one that's not super unknown. I've also recommended Free Fire before. So. Good. Because I goddamn <laughs> love that movie. Um, <laughs> but in the spirit of kind of uh, suspense thrillers, high stakes, um, seemingly innocent people being put in deathly situations. Um, I would heavily recommend phone booth. Uh, Hmm. phone booth is in like my top 10 of movies. Honestly, I absolutely adore that movie. Um, that's a hot take. Yeah. That that was, that's a movie that's been clowned on by a lot of people. And I'm willing to die on that hill. Uh, (laughs) I'll fight for it. Uh, the same, uh, just as hard of a fight as I will have against Hunger Games, I will have for Phone Booth. Um, <laughs> I like Phone Booth. Yeah. It's a completely performance-driven movie. There's only one location, which is always hard to pull off. 
And it's a phone booth. And it's a fucking phone booth. It's <laughs> it's as claustrophobic. The whole movie is as claustrophobic as it sounds. The performances, basically by the only two characters in the whole fucking movie, are astounding. It's it's worth every second. Definitely, definitely check it out. <laughs> um, I'd say uh, we've mentioned it, but the Belko experiment, I think, is a is a fun iteration oh, on, yeah. on this genre. If you missed the Squid Game mania, <laughs> like because you maybe were like one overhyped. of those people. yeah. I mean, it's hard. Sometimes when things take off, you do go because the thing is, things are overhyped. Like yeah. Squid Game is a very good show. Did it deserve the phenomenon that it became probably not but it's yeah. good it is good we we our culture cycle these days is everything reaches this manic zenith and then just m- drops just off melts. immediately yeah uh so it's a little tough i think i've recommended it before uh but for some reason i kept thinking about beef the show man i heard that's good my wife watched it and she liked it beef but i is, haven't seen beef it. is still in terms of things i've seen this year my favorite thing I've seen this okay, year. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't go extreme death game, but I really think that when you're talking about like using an extreme situation as like a metaphor for society, yeah. beef nails it, knocks it out of the fucking park. And it's just an incredible show. So I'm just going to like, I just want to recommend beef oh, as much yeah. as I possibly can. <laughs> um, you know, ironically this weekend, my, fr- I was hanging out with my friends and they wanted to watch something and they weren't sure what to watch. I was, scrolling through what apps i had saw the menu was on hulu oh yeah and i was like that kind of shares some similarities slight spoilers yeah uh, for the menu but i guess that's more most dangerous game-esque eh, a little bit anyway, but, but it's like reverse like we said there's a slight venn diagram to that anyway yeah but i mean in terms of a situation that slowly becomes like a situation that seems unescapable mm-hmm. uh, where the end result is everyone's gonna die slight spoilers for the menu but I do like saying that because the trailer makes it seem like it's a cannibal movie, and it is not a cannibal movie. Oh, is that what you got out of the trailer? Like, because I was I like, is this like gonna I... be a cannibal movie? Oh, man, I don't think I. It's like, oh, they're eating people. That. Uh, oh, but oh. that's not where it goes at no, all. There's no cannibalism. Uh, I suggested it. It's also a nice, tight, ninety-minute movie. Yeah, it's uh, true. yeah, it's a quick one, and uh, it went over well with my friend group. They all liked it. So I have a, yeah, that's a good one. Actually, it's and, a really and good one. watching it again. I just I appreciate it even more the second time. Also, just man, Rafe Fiennes just kills it, and I really hate that everyone's like, "Oh, you mean Voldemort?" I'm like, "Dude, fuck Voldemort." He's like so. Yeah. Watch in Bruges, like you know, like he's got so much stronger performances. My, my cunt fucking kids! I just take back what you said about my cunt fucking kids. I take back what I said about the cunt fucking kids. I didn't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> You're an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> Sorry, I called you an inanimate object. <laughs> Speaking of Ray Fiennes, though, after the Point Break episode, I realized I'd not watched a lot of Catherine Bigelow movies. Mm, yeah. I cl- was clicking around. I saw she made a movie called Strange Days. Uh, Ray Fiennes and uh, Angela Bassett are the leads of this movie. Ooh. And also Juliette Lewis and Michael Wincott are in it. Jeez. Uh, and Ray Fiennes is that I think that it's like whenever you look him up, it looks like his name is said like Fiennes or something yeah, like that. It looks like Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, but it's like it's like Ray Fiennes or something is how you say it. I think you say Fiennes because if you watch Strange Days, you'll be like, that guy is fine. Fine as fuck. <laughs> he is so hot. Man, I movie. mean, his his brother though, like also got it, got it going on. <laughs> I mean, and Angela Bassett and Juliette Lewis are gorgeous in the movie yeah. too. But he is like. I just, I cannot, and, and Strange Days is like a, 
very slightly futuristic dystopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, it's, it's so good. I can't believe I'd never seen it before. It's one of my new favorite things. Like I've been recommending to anyone that will listen to me yeah. that I think would maybe like it. I haven't seen it. So uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, it was just, I, it was just on max and I was like, Oh cool. And I was like, sure. Why not? I was like, I'll watch a little bit of it. And then I got to go to bed. Yeah. I couldn't put it down. I was up till Damn. like eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like finishing it yeah. because I just couldn't stop watching it. And yeah, strange days, fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, if you guys heard us throw out any other death game stuff, like, uh, like there's like an anime called like Dangan Ropa that's kind yep, of fun. Yeah, Rampa, Yeah. Uh, there's there's tons of anime that do death game stuff. Play Mad World if you have a Wii. If you have a, if you have a Nintendo Wii, get Mad World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic dark Nintendo game, but uh, <laughs> one of like three. We got to get going, but uh, I do want to say if there's anything you'd like to plug, please do, and then we'll say our goodbyes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, since you offered, I'll take I'll take the opportunity to say I do have a book coming out. Actually. Yay. Um. I don't have a release date yet, so that probably you know hurts the the effectiveness of this plug. But uh, <laughs> it's called Internal Damage. It is written by me, Lucas B. Gerke. Uh, <laughs> so just keep an eye out for it and support me if you have any desire to at all. Yeah, or if you just want to read it, you don't give a shit give about me. Can you people a taste That's at all? That's fine too. Yeah. God, oh, you know, I should you should have asked me. I have a, I have a copy at home. Well, I just I mean like <laughs> like 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 what's well, like you don't have to say spoil anything right. but it's like what, what's the book okay man that's it's always such a hard question to answer but i mean I'll is, do this, my is, best. This, is this the one i read some of yeah it is okay. it is so it's like the the turnoff and selling point simultaneously i'm sure uh is the fact that it's in it's in first person present tense which throws some people off like really hardcore but it is a survival story kind of like where we've been talking about a little bit where uh you know kind of the no character is safe but i figure if you're in their head as the story plays out from their perspective they don't know what's going on you don't know what's going on it always bothered me in stories that are first person when it's past tense because it's them telling you something that happened to them whereas if it's them telling you while it's happening to them you're as in the dark as they are and you kind of get to be a passenger seat in their mind yeah and from what from Um, what i remember you were decently far along in the version that i read and it there's some pretty crazy shit that happens and like the characters are really well drawn. Uh, it's got like future dystopia, maybe not dystopia, but right. it's like future stuff going on. Yeah, it's, it's a sci-fi setting, but I do struggle to call it a sci-fi novel because that kind of gives you the wrong idea. Yeah, it kind of, but... It kind of, but it doesn't like kind of take place on a different planet yeah, and stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it takes place on one of Jupiter's moons. So it is, <laughs> it's objectively a sci-fi like piece. It's just like, it's not like space battles and right. <laughs> you know, it's not fucking a- aliens uh, and shit. the expanse. No, and... <laughs> it's nothing like that. It's, a, it's much more about the people. Yeah. Than anything like that. Very cool. You keep an eye out for it. What's the title again? Internal Damage. Internal Damage. Uh by Lucas B. Gurky. Is that oh yeah, I said? throw the B in there. Sounds more author like. I I mean <laughs> you heard me at the top of the show, Jake Ryan Baker. Like, See? That's what I go by now. See? It's, it's pretentious, but I have to. Yeah, my, got... na- my name's so common. <laughs> uh you know, and, you know, all yeah. those Gurkies. I know. There's so many Gurkies out there, I had to separate myself. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this movie with me, Lucas. I Dude, hope you had a fun no time. Problem. I'm so glad we got to knock this one off. But, yeah. Hey, we gotta go uh, before our, our neck collars explode. Bye. <laughs> so, as I unfortunately say at the end of every episode, I'll catch you all on the flip-flop later. Bye.